football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. Today, we continue our series where we fix your team in at least five minutes. A little bit more than five minutes. 20 to 40 minutes of fixing your team. We've already done the entire AFC, Sam. Two different episodes. Yeah, we're almost done. We, yeah, we aimed for like an hour and a half. We landed at two hours per because we're trying to give every team love. We're going to aim for an hour and a half again today. We'll see where we land. Yeah, it's, it's becoming more complicated. We're getting mailbag questions in, and some of them are really good. And there's one in particular that I want to read out today, but cleverly, I've managed to integrate it into the series that we're doing. So really it's not going to take up extra time. It's just going to be as part of our fix every team. So we might have a mailbag episode at some point, but keep the emails coming because they could just show up on any show. Yeah, so, or at so the very minimum, every show. at the very minimum, when we um, potentially get extra room and we're not just doing all these series we'll have like a dedicated mailbag section but basically send in your mailbag questions to nfl podcast singular at pff.com if they're extremely good we may read them if they're not right. they'll be dismissed summarily i mean there's a lot there's a lot in there and we, we're, we're getting a lot of emails and it does it's a good reminder that we're, we're growing because it's way more emails i think than we've than received last time? in the past yeah. yes so it's it's really great so we appreciate everybody that has become a dedicated listener to the PFF NFL podcast. All right, we're going NFC East and NFC North today. Let's start at the East with the Dallas Cowboys. Much like last episode, we started with the Houston Texans. It feels like you could feel, fill your own two hours there. Mm. Dallas is similar. Well, we did the Texans and, and came to the conclusion they cannot be fixed in one offseason. <laughs> Are they the only team we didn't really fix? Yeah. yeah. Though, as Ben pointed out, we there's no, you can take the Bears' offer because you don't need to fix them this year. It's next year. Take, take whatever the biggest offer is on the table, get out. Just anyway, take it and go. we don't have time to spend more time with Dallas. So are we going to make an assumption that Dak is there? There were some issues well, with the, the debate, surgery. Right? There, I mean, there's a lot. So what, so what are we doing for Dallas? Are we just throwing the, throwing the truck at, at, at Dak here? I think you franchise tag him. Um, and I don't even know if you franchise tag him with the view of getting a long-term deal signed. I think you have to make that decision, right? At some point, you have to look at this and say, is he worth $40-plus million a season with all of the salary cap implications and the knock-on effect to the rest of your roster that that comes with? And just make that determination. If he is, just get it done. If the price isn't going down, just sign it. Just accept that you're being bent over in this negotiation because you screwed it up beforehand and take the deal because it's not getting any more palatable for you. If it isn't, now your next question is, well, okay, do we blow it up right now or do we get a year out of him on the franchise tag and then let him walk? I would suggest you get the year in the franchise tag and then let him walk. I would be in this, I think I would be in the boat if I'm Dallas that, look, there's a line in the sand. If he's not going to come down to this amount of money, we need to start thinking about life beyond Dak Prescott. And that doesn't mean now, but it means 
Well, it might be now because if he's back and you don't have a top 10 pick, they're, they're picking at 10 and, you know, look, there might be five quarterbacks in the top 10, but either way, there should be a quarterback available for Dallas. Are you franchising Dak and then drafting a QB? Or are you just going to be in this terrible, horrible Patriots football team Bears-like situation next year? Why would you want to be in that situation when you have Dak in the building? Well, the other the other options on the table are if you decide you are moving on from Dak Prescott, is some kind of tag and trade and now you're in the Russell Wilson uh, Deshaun Watson sweepstakes because you have a bargaining chip you have a Dak Prescott now okay you only have him on one year of franchise tag deal but you have him and that's something a lot of other teams can't offer in this bargain we talked about the offer the Bears can be putting on the table Chicago can't give you anything like that they can give you more just greater volume of stuff thrown your way but they can't give you the thing you want, which is a replacement quarterback for Deshaun Watson. So if you're Dallas and you are saying, okay, we're not going to pay him this amount of money, if you're doing that, you do have an option beyond just look to the draft. Man, uh, so that part I think I could buy into. I, I, I think – so you're, you're, you're inherently adding some risk here because yeah. we've talked about in many, many podcasts, the more you wait on Dak, the more his price is going to go up if at some point you're going to sign him to a long-term deal. Yes. If your strategy is tag him just in case Watson or Russ could be the prize at the end. Well, you tag him anyway, right? Because, I mean, assuming you're not going to let him hit the open market. The worst thing Dallas could do is put the line in the sand and say, we're moving on from Dak Prescott, but right now we have no actual alternative other than Andy Dalton. So bye-bye. Let's hope 2021 goes okay. I mean, I, I would – I see the discomfort around the NFL. I, I've changed my tune, as I mentioned before. I've changed my tune on Dak. I think there was definitely a point where I was a little wary of throwing too much money at him. I think uh, Dan Orlovsky, who we've meant, mentioned a few times here, as much as I think he has some, some takes that we disagree with, the one that I agreed with that he took a lot of heat for was going out and saying, Dak's not worth $40 million. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't, I don't think the heat that he took was right. He said, Dak's not worth $40 million. And of course, you know, nobody understands nuance. They think that he doesn't think Dak is good. When all he was trying to say is like, Dak's not in the Mahomes-Watson hmm. world, right? He's, he's less than that. Um, I would say, okay, I would go to about that 40 mark because I think the Josh Allens and Lamar Jacksons, maybe Baker, like those other guys are going to come up to that number. And we're going to reset. The market's going to get reset in a few years from now. Dak's going to look like a pretty good deal. So just do it. So I'd say do it. <laughs> yeah, if it didn't have implications everywhere else. I mean, the problem is the cap isn't going up dramatically this year. $40 million this year is a tighter squeeze and it is in the future sometime. Look, I mean... Yeah, you push it. You push it the move the to make... It doesn't all have to be this year. The move to make was to just get this deal done like a year and a half ago. And I understand that's kind of what we're criticizing, like... I know, we're not there, though. We're here. Yeah, but also that's kind of what we're criticizing the Eagles and the Rams for doing, which is jumping too early and signing the deal you didn't need to. But the flip side of that is if they keep getting better and better and better at some point, or not even if they keep getting better, like Dak hasn't gotten dramatically better. But if you keep push, the longer you push that out, the higher the price goes. So what you're doing essentially is trading off more data points for cost. So the earlier you sign that deal, the cheaper it is, but the greater the chance you make it balls of it by the guy going in the tank, which is what happened with Philadelphia and the Rams. They jumped on the deal early, so it's cheaper than Dak is going to sign for. But you maybe went too soon. All right. Well, we've talked about Dak quite a bit on this podcast. Let's check out the rest of the roster. Okay. okay. So let's assume they franchise tag him or they do lock him up long term. Yes. So Dak Prescott's on the team. 
the rest of the roster. Really good playmakers. Love those wide receivers. We've talked about that quite a bit. The offensive line took a step back last year, in part because of injuries. Lyle Collins not playing. He's back. Zach Martin's back. Tyron Smith is back. Connor Williams is back. Center's a big question mark. So we'll look at center as a potential need. Um, but that's really it offensively, right? And tight end. Blake Jarwin, Dalton Schultz would love to get a more dynamic tight end. Jarwin had his moments, whatever. But um, both guys had their moments last year. But would love to get another another dynamic tight end there. But I think we all agree all the needs are on defense. Where new defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, friend of the show, was on the, a few weeks back. Uh, breaking down what he's going to do in Dallas. They just need an influx of humans on the defensive side of the ball because so many of their guys in their secondary in particular are free agents. Yeah, the secondary's got a lot of problems. The <laughs> defensive front has a lot of problems. This is a team that is – there's a lot of positions on defense that I, I think that are um, not necessarily the most important positions in the world until you have a problem there. It's kind of like offensive line where if you don't have a center – the second you don't have a good center, you realize how important having a center is. Right. And then most teams that have like a viable one, it just never even occurs to them that that's a difficult problem to fix. <clears throat> Dallas, you know, just had nothing on the interior of their defensive line last season. And the second... This has been a problem for years. Sure, but they've been sort of patching it up okay up until last year where it was, okay, we have nothing. And it's so nothing that it's just getting absolutely destroyed off the ball every single play and offering nothing as a, a pass rush. Just It was a problem to the point where it ruined everything. They did not have an interior defensive lineman grade above 60, really above 58 yeah. last season, just for perspective. <clears throat> That's bad. They didn't have anybody with more than 24 total pressures, and 24 total pressures led the interior by like a factor of two and a half. <laughs> like not good yeah this this was nothing there was absolutely nothing in terms of this group they were bad against the run no they were catastrophic against the run and they were bad as a pass rushing group and they were so bad against the run I think it was a big part of why the linebackers look like crap right because those guys you couldn't wait if you're a linebacker you couldn't read and react and figure out where things are going to go you had to pick somewhere and go because if you didn't you were going to get a defensive tackle in your lap five yards deep. Like, you, you didn't have the ability to trust the guys in front of you knowing that you were going to have a path to wherever the ball was going to go. You just had to, like, pick a gap and jump because otherwise things were going to be – you were going to be bad as well. So I think a lot of what you saw from Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith was some of that. It was those guys trying to just survive beyond a, or behind a defensive line that was, like, coming towards them at a rapid rate of knots. Yeah, I, the whole defense was a mess last year, though. I mean, it was, you know, Mike Nolan comes in. They, they looked a little confused. Richard Sherman on the Chris Collinsworth podcast, who notably comes from a system that is simple, from a here's what we do and we're just going to play it really well. He thought the system was too complicated. There were busted coverages left and right. So there was a lot going on there. So as much as we talk about the defensive interior, massive need, multi-year need there, I'm looking at the secondary that already didn't have a great season, was a little bit better down the stretch. But Jordan Lewis, Chidabe Awuzie, and uh, Xavier Woods, out of the five starters in the secondary, those guys are all free agents this year. Um, up front, Alden Smith is also a free agent. So there are multiple starters you know, to, to replace here. I think the most common mock draft position is cornerback, mm -hmm. whether it's Patrick Sertan, <coughs> Caleb Farley. The NFL is uh, 
there's a lot of people really high on JC Horn from South Carolina. I think the more I, I always say, like, I don't know what the NFL thinks about him. I think now I'm starting to hear more and more buzz where people have JC Horn as their their top corner. So one of those top three will be available there at 10. And I think that's probably the play for Dallas. Start back to front as far as where they're going to rebuild in the secondary. Yeah, a lot of people, one of the most common mock uh, players to team seems to be Caleb Farley to Dallas. Yeah. And you can see why. Caleb Farley is freakish as an athlete. Like that guy, you know, the six foot two corners you keep making me watch because, you know, one of them is going to get drafted high. Like, they're six two, you know, they get some size. Yeah, yeah. But he's six two, blazing fast, um, like ridiculous, stupid fast, right? He might have the best recovery speed, the best closing burst that we've seen since looking at college prospects. Like, I would say as of now, William Jackson maybe has the best recovery speed we've seen since we've been doing this. Farley's is better, like significantly better than William Jackson's. Um, his speed and burst is nuts to the point where it like fixes a bunch of issues. He's not perfect. He's got some uh, some questionable techniques at times, can cause himself some problems, at least half of which he fixes later on by just being faster than the guy who's trying to run by him. It's actually crazy watching him. I love it. Yeah, he is, he is really good. He's our cornerback one. Um, despite sitting out, he's he's got one excellent year of production, plus, as you mentioned, the, the freaky athleticism and everything. So how else will Dallas I – mean, I, I would go corner in the draft because I think one of those guys are going to be available there. You still have to go free agency, though, because, again, there's multiple players to replace. Wuzier, you know, you know, compared to other corners on the, on the board here, he ended up at, what is he, 30 – now 43rd on our free agent board and it's because when you looked at his grades they're a lot more consistent than some of the other guys he doesn't have those peak seasons but they're gonna have to get creative in free agency here slot players that are available brian pool would be great in that system troy hill i just don't know how much money they're gonna be able to spend but there's a lot of uh, slot first type of players that i think would be great get one of those outside corners in the draft and you still probably need at least one more in free agency yeah they have a decent chunk of salary cap space but you have to sort of carve off a tranche of that for Dak Prescott whatever you end up doing with him whether it's a long-term signing whether it's a uh, franchise tag deal like a big right. chunk of the, spe uh, the spending room that you have is immediately disappearing on Dak but their team it's an insane group of free agents for uh, safeties like maybe Dallas is in play for the safeties whether it's bringing back their own or whether it's going somewhere else and finding a guy it feels like there's so many really good safeties that it has to depress the asking price for them right it can't be can they oh, yeah. all get paid surely not that happened a couple of years ago we were like hey there's a lot of good safeties out there and the market was really dry yeah i think with dan quinn you always try to make those connections right dan quinn running that system that has a pure strong safety a pure free safety his old draft pick keanu neal is one of those free agents i could see him coming in to be that enforcer and you know we've talked about malik hooker being that classic single high free safety I know it's not realistic, but Neil and Hooker as like a package deal, yeah. the perfect combination for this particular system. And if you're talking about overhaul in the secondary, that's a that would be like a boomer bust way to go, right? The payoff of Malik Hooker and Keanu Neal, two former first rounders who have at least flashed that potential before, would be awesome. I'd be really interested to know what Neil's asking price is going to wind up being because you think you would think that the luster has kind of gone off his. Um, stock at the moment that he isn't quite the player that he looked like he was right out of the gate on the other hand as much as it's a really good group of free agents for safeties there's not a ton of like legitimate strong safeties in there so 
And the one position that he actually does play um, is not a strength of this free agent group. So I'm, I'm not sure where his stock would be. If he's cheap, I would definitely look to double dip, honestly, in free agency and get him and another, whether it's Malik Hooker or whether they go at the top end of the market and go for somebody like Anthony Harris and the Vikings, who was, hasn't played that single high um, true free safety role, has been more of a split safety guy in Minnesota. They run a lot of cover two, four, six, all that kind of stuff. And he takes half or a quarter of the field with Harrison Smith, the other. But he can do it. Like He's got those right. skills. He's got the range. He's got the, the ball skills when the ball's in the air. Him and uh, Keanu Neal would do the same kind of thing and I think be a lot more of a certain uh, offering than Malik Hooker, who we're still sort of leaning on prior college priors for that he can do that, but it would be a lot more costly, obviously. Tayshawn Gibson uh, also has experience in that system. Um, he's had two good years out of his last three. You know, kind of, again, the nature of the the variability of these this position year to year. Trey Boston is coming off his worst graded system uh, season, but he would played far more in the box than he had previously. I don't know if I want him as a single high free safety. I still like him as a two high free safety, but there are some cheap options to they're, be had there. They're a team, though, that needs an interior defensive lineman that can make so an let's impact. Go, yes. Like, desperately. So let me ask you this at 10. I, I keep I like the, the Farley pick. If he's there at 10 or if Sertan's there at 10, I'm loving it. Build back to front, whatever. But Christian Barmore, who I think is the best interior pass rusher we've seen in years coming out, is he the guy? Because there's also a massive drop-off between yeah. him and the next couple interior defensive linemen. Would you take Barmore at 10 if you're Dallas? If they're sitting at 10 and you have a choice of Barmore versus whoever the top corner on your board is, I think you would take you should take Barmore on the basis that the drop off is steeper between him and the next guy. So if it's a choice between Barmore and Caleb Farley, but all of the corners are still there, sure they might go on a run. But generally speaking, in the second round, you are going to be able to get a better cornerback than you are a defensive interior guy just based on this draft class. So I would snag Barmore. Um, they're so, in it, but that, so that this is what like. This is like why they're in their situation. Neville Gallimore, they got third round last year, right? And yeah. uh, Tristan Hill, they got those guys in the middle rounds, which isn't a bad strategy until those guys don't pan out and sure. you're still sitting there with the same need. So do you do you just you know suck it up with the first round pick? But the other interesting thing for Dallas is they're so bad on the interior that they don't necessarily need they don't need an elite playmaker to come in and be you know a dominant force. They just need a guy that doesn't suck. And they don't even need a guy that can rush the passer. Like, they just need a body that isn't going to get blown five yards off the line of scrimmage. So when we're looking at all these guys, and it's like, well, there's a nose tackle here. He's not really going to offer much as a pass rusher. That's going to drop him around. That doesn't necessarily – that's not a problem for Dallas, you know, inherently. They could use a guy like that. Now, okay, at some point you're going to need the difference maker who can rush the passer as well. But right now it's like let's – there's a giant gaping hole in the hull of this boat – patch it up by whatever means is necessary and then later on we can figure out how to make the uh the thing smooth again and, and get w working through the water like so dallas just can, needs to start adding bodies there that's where i can drop my guy Ellen mcneil yeah number 47 on our board uh the best nose tackle in the draft by our numbers great run stopper can push the pocket a little bit if we want to make the dan quinn connection again mcneil could be a brandon mebane type remember when mebane hit that yeah really good run stopper who could in one of the top three or four pass rushing nose tackles, McNeil has that type of potential. That would be a good fit for. But Dallas. also, like you can go way, you can go quite a, a way down the board in terms of free agency and find bodies that are flawed on the interior but can do a job. And right now, Dallas just needs somebody that can do a job. Why you get a body shame them? 
Well, said bodies know. that are flawed. Well, they're they're interior defensive linemen, Steve. They're not in the. Uh, <laughs> they're not looking like Mr. Universe. That's all I'm saying. The guys that tend to look like Mr. Universe on the interior of the defensive line are either not great or Aaron Donald. Right, Aaron. Aaron looks special. He does. At everything. Yeah. Most people don't look like that in the interior. So what I'm hearing the, as we talk through this, Dallas is going to spend their resources on the big stuff, Dak, cornerback, and then fill in the rest, free agency, draft on the defensive interior. But all of this juggling, by the way, it sort of highlights why the Dak thing is a problem and why you just hand him the $40 million plus a year is an issue. <laughs> because like you've got a lot of other problems already, assuming you have Dak Prescott. Like, this is not... He's, you don't have the money to just absorb that contract and keep on trucking because of problems you've already done elsewhere, like the Zeke contract, blah, 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 all the stuff we've rehashed before. It's not this simple, clean slate of just hand Dak his money, pay that man his money, and deal with it down the line because it's already at issue. Yeah, I think it has to be, though, because you, you just have that baseline of like, hey, I know what I'm working with here, and then, you know, you, you can't make up for past mistakes. Anyway... Look, Dallas will we'll fit it all. We'll fit it all together. I think Tyler Biotish deserves a shot to start at center. Mm-hmm. Was okay in limited time last year, but I'm not terribly worried about the offensive line yet. And I'd still love to see a playmaker at tight end. I don't think that happens in free agency. I think they'd be okay if they had to deal with Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz again. I just think they have to keep their eyes open to a dynamic option there. It's down the list of priorities for them, I think. <clears throat> yes. I watched Rounders the other day, by the way. That was a great opportunity. Gave that man his money. Yeah. Can miss- you do the accent? I mean, probably not well. I don't want to. It's it's one I haven't tried, and I don't want my first attempt to be live on a podcast. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I've done it a lot it. through the years. It's just not. <coughs> You're not good at it. You don't have a good Malkovich Russian. I was probably good at it like <coughs> ten years ago. Oh, the, okay. The pay the pay that man his money. Yeah. Line, but I'm not going to do it. Okay. All right, Dallas fixed. Look at that, tidy, tidy and quick. Let's go New York Giants. <coughs> I believe they're next in the NFC East. Yeah, then Philly and football team. So New York Giants. Philly and football. Team. We are looking at a team. That is a few years into the Dave Gettleman regime. I do feel like they have a lot of the same issues. Other, you know, all their their strength is on the defensive line. Even though those guys are, are free agents, we'll see if they come back. Uh, I think they've gotten better in the secondary, but still more work to do there. The big question here, though, Daniel Jones is the starter. Actually, had a decent year by our numbers last year. By real numbers, he didn't. Mm. And I think you attribute <laughs> that to. A ridiculously bad offensive line, ridiculously bad receiver situation. This is actually a fascinating dynamic, the Daniel Jones situation. Because obviously, we were not huge fans of Daniel Jones coming out. Giants take him at number six, right, overall. Um, And it's like day one in, was it preseason or just week one? Like the Giants Twitter account. It was like minicamp. Yeah, the Giants Twitter account is like giving told you so uh, tweets and stuff. And you're like, well, you know, let's 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 maybe let it play out a little bit before we give any true analysis on that. And the longer it goes, the more I think other people are souring on the Daniel Jones thing. And the longer I watch him, the more I'm actually kind of encouraged by what he does, even if his numbers are kind of crappy. I think he actually plays reasonably well, albeit I do think there's a limit to how good he can be. Like the stuff that he's bad at, this... Joe Flacco-esque obliviousness in the pocket is not something I think that typically gets fixed. So you're probably going to have to deal with that in perpetuity. And that will be a limit to how good he is. Like, if if you just blindfolded Patrick Mahomes and told him you can't, you have no idea where anything is coming from anymore, 
Patrick Mahomes isn't going to be Patrick Mahomes anymore. That's effectively what you're dealing with with Daniel Jones is a blindfolded version of Patrick Mahomes who just has no feel for anything that's happening around him. Blindfolded um, but the point is, Mahomes. he's capable of doing a lot of good things. And now you're in this situation where you're like, okay, how much help can we give him before we have to say, eh, you know what, we blew that one, let's start over. And because particularly because starting over in this sense probably means everybody getting fired. Yeah, it, it's, it's a tough one because he definitely, I, I was more encouraged in year two than I was in year one. And again, that sounds crazy, right? Because in year one, Jones had those, you know, four touchdown, no interception games. You know, he had some really high-end yeah. games. He had those Giants fans are going to tweet at you type of games, mm-hmm. right? And you got, a many, you got many games where, you, including his first start, where they tweeted at you, you idiots, you had it wrong. Yeah. Daniel is the man. Last year, we did not have one game in which Giants fans tweeted at us yet. His grade just got a little bit better, a little bit better. He cut down on some of those turnover-worthy plays and some of that obliviousness in the pocket. So, but his, but his situation got so much worse. So I think you're right. I mean, look, I haven't come off my initial he, take that he's Folsy. You want a great number? Yeah. He had a big-time throw rate of 5% last year. That is higher than Justin Herbert, right? Justin Herbert's big-time throw rate rate resulted in 31 touchdown passes. Daniel Jones's resulted in 11. Now, okay, there's a difference in attempts. It's not as dramatic as you might think, given those numbers. But he was not – his numbers do not fairly reflect the number of big plays that he was making with his arm. He actually made a ton of really impressive throws. Now, he made more mistakes than you would like to see as well, but I'm not saying the guy's perfect or anything. Yeah, I mean, and one of those big-time throws would have sealed the game against the Eagles. He puts it on Evan Ingram's hands on a yeah. go ball, and it gets dropped, right? I mean, there, that was kind of the nature of Jones' season. Um, also, the offensive line just absolutely fell apart. They had one of those offensive lines that I think – it was like what we said about the Jets. Like, if two or three things go right, they were like a top-10 offensive line. The first thing that went wrong was Nate Solder opting out, and it's not because yeah. he's great – but the trickle-down effect was Andrew Thomas had to, you know, he starts at left tackle as a rookie. He was the worst rookie off- uh, first-round offensive tackle. Started to get better down the stretch. Everything was bad around Daniel Jones, though, as far as uh, pass blocking goes. And he wasn't really throwing to a whole lot of people. So to get even a fair shake, look, you know our take on it. If you don't know if, if, you don't know if he's the guy, you, you keep looking. So in theory, we would suggest that the Giants keep looking. However, there are so many holes here. You still don't really know what you have in Daniel Jones. I have a good idea, which is if you do get everything around him, I think he could have a nice successful season, which is mid-tier level quarterback. <laughs> when, he, when he was coming out, I'm pretty sure that we comped him to Jameis Winston and therefore Eli Manning. And no. therefore You, after he started playing, you comped him to Jameis Winston. Okay. I early on comped him to Nick Foles. Whatever. Either way, my point was there was a succession line of Eli Manning, Jameis Winston, Daniel Jones for just the same human being, which therefore meant that the Giants went directly from Eli Manning to Eli Manning 3.0 or 2.1 or whatever you want to call it, right? That's exactly what you've just described. Is a guy where if everything comes together, Daniel Jones is capable of this really great season, say 2011 Eli Manning. (laughs) Like There's a a scenario where that – but ultimately he's probably just going to be this – average to above average quarterback um but the giants i think are in they have more data but i think they're in a very similar situation to where denver were a year ago with drew Locke, which is okay i think this guy is the guy and more to the point i don't really have enough time to do anything else 
So we're going to try and build the hell around this guy really quickly and hope that it comes out good. Because if it doesn't, everyone's getting fired anyway. And I think that like Denver deployed everything around Drew Locke on the basis that, hey, we think he's the guy finally, because it clearly wasn't Trevor Simeon, et cetera, before him. We think Drew Locke's the guy. Let's give him a first-round receiver. Let's give him a second-round receiver. Let's start playing. You know, it turns out John Elway had more rope than that because he could just remove himself from the job, go up the uh, up the chain of command and give it to somebody else and buy himself some more time. That's a luxury most people don't have. Um, but that that feels like where Dave Gettleman is right now. I, can he say, eh, Daniel, we swung and missed with Daniel Jones at six. We're going to reload dry again. I mean, he's got to say, this is the guy we need to fix the offensive line and let's roll. No, he can't. And and look, I I, I don't know if I if, if it's like a double standard for me because I we didn't necessarily believe in Jones a ton. So the fact that maybe from my standpoint, he's he's overachieved my expectations a little bit. So now I'm encouraged and saying, you know, stick with him. Yeah. Whereas other guys who are middle-tier quarterbacks, I'm always like, hey, move on. Just keep moving on. But let's just assume – Daniel Jones is the guy, right? They, they do have just way too many other holes to start over at quarterback. They're picking at 11. So so what are we doing here? I think, they just released Golden Tate. To be honest, that might be a bigger thing there than, okay, look, when you you bring up a point that I think is a good one, which is it is very easy to have double standards and not be consistent with this idea of keep swinging a quarterback until you find a guaranteed quarterback and then you can roll. What I think has to be in the equation there is what is your opportunity to keep looking? So it's easy. It's not. It's not a case of hey, just keep just grab any old quarterback wherever you're picking or wherever you are in free agency. Just grab another one because you don't know that you have the guy. So Miami Dolphins with Tua, or Washington last year with Dwayne Haskins. You it becomes a conversation where you have like a another high level quarterback being thrown in your face say, with a top-five draft pick. Now you have, like, a decision to make right off the bat. It's like, hey, there's going to be a good guy available where we're sitting in the draft. We need to at least make the decision whether we take that guy or not. If you're the Giants and you're picking at 11, there's a pretty good chance you're going to have no real option at quarterback, at which point decision's made for you. Like, unless you're saying these guys are so insane, we need to make something crazy happen and trade up to get one, which feels – more aggressive than simply having your eye it's, out it's not happening so i don't, I don't even want it. it it's just not going to happen but i think it's a it's a fair it's a good thing to articulate which is that hey we preach a lot keep looking for a quarterback until you know you have one it is dependent on having the capacity to do that and i right. think there's a difference between keep looking and be psychotically aggressive to find right right so the 49ers this year with Jimmy Garoppolo playing the way he has and more to the point with his extensive injury history, they would be nuts to not at least have their eye out for quarterbacks, when they, particularly when you consider where they're drafting, right? So at the very minimum, they have to be like doing their due diligence on these quarterbacks and know that if they're sitting there and one of them is available, they have made the decision whether he's a better option than Jimmy G or not. The Giants... They should be in the situation where they've done their due diligence on the quarterbacks in case one of them is there, but they're not like trading up to go grab one. You know, they're right. not they're not aggressively trying to make that change, at which point their plan A for them should be assuming Daniel Jones is still their starter and let's build around him. If I'm the Giants, I'd be intrigued by that mid-round quarterback in this draft, maybe like Kellen Mond, Davis Mills. Like those are the types of guys I might take a shot on. The tricky part here is the Giants have six draft picks. So when you're talking about a team 
I know I, they were feisty on defense last year. That's feisty. the word, right? They were feisty. You're looking at that depth chart. You're like, ah, you know, besides interior defensive line, where's the talent? But it's a bunch of solid players. They came together. They had some really good games, including beating Seattle and all that fun stuff. Feisty defensively, but they still need more talent on the defensive side of the ball and around Daniel Jones, as we said. So doing that with six draft picks is difficult. Doing that with mid-level cap space, difficult, right? So even the luxury of like grabbing a Kellen Mond in round three, even though Chris Sims has a first round pick on a grade on him, grabbing him in, in, in round three is almost like a luxury for the Giants as well, though I thought I think it would be a good move. So they're sitting there at 11 in plus free agency. Where are we even starting here? You know us with playmakers and corners. That has to be a big priority for for the Giants in both areas this year. Go uh, subscribe to the PFF NFL Daily to hear our take on another Chris Sims-ism. He's got Zach Wilson above Trevor Lawrence in his quarterback rankings, and we asked the question whether that's crazy or not on the PFF NFL Daily. Yeah, and we were very fair to Chris. Yeah. And and just in general, because there's other people that have... Somewhere somewhere in the world, somewhere agrees agrees with Chris Chris Sims and Dan Orlovsky. I wonder if Chris Sims and Dan Orlovsky ever agree together on the same thing. At the same time. And what is... Does that, like... Does that end the world if they do? Is that? I think it's either. I think it's it's either something incredible is happening or something disastrous is happening. There's no way they agree on Darnold. I think Sims <laughs> Sims would have Darnold at like 58 on his QB rankings. I assume. Yeah, Darnold's not a big toolsy guy. Dan so would have him like ninth. It, it feels you know the way you when we like order things on a list you like just throw random numbers on them and we sort we order it and then figure out like where they need to move to. Yes. It feels like Dan does that, but everybody's two. You know what I mean? Everybody's the second best quarterback right. in the like, NFL. Mahomes kind of is obviously the best, but everybody else has got the talent to be number two. They're all Darnold, uh, Matthew Stafford, like whoever it is, I've seen amazing things out of those guys. They're the second best quarterback in the NFL with, uh, with the right situation around them. So, <clears throat> anyway. D- defensive interior. Yeah. Leonard Williams is the top interior defensive lineman on our free agent board. He's a free agent for the Giants. Dalvin Tomlinson's number two among interior defensive linemen. If we call J.J. Watt an edge, mm-hmm. he just signed. So they've got the top two DIs. And also, more to the point, isn't available anymore. Isn't available. Yeah. So the, the top two are available. But they, like, are they going to, it sounds like they want to lock up Leonard Williams long term, which is fine. I think he's a pretty good foundational piece. But in a couple of years, they got to pay Dexter Lawrence, their first round pick, who's another good, solid Leonard Williams y type of player. I want to deploy those resources trying to figure out who my corner is opposite James Bradbury, though. And figuring out who Daniel Jones is throwing to. They got to go all in at receiver, don't they? Like you mentioned the Broncos. Yeah, but what does that look like for them? I mean, a receiver in the first round, okay, where so, they're picking 11, you're going to have. The foundation's pretty good. Look, Sterling Shepard, solid possession receiver. Darius Slayton has been a pretty good deep threat. He's a three, right? He's a three, four deep threat. Maybe it may be a touch better than that. But again, you don't want him as your number two wide receiver. So you draft. You know, is it Waddle as a deep threat who'll take advantage of Jones' ability to throw down the field? Jones was quietly one of the best downfield throws in the league last year, by the way. 20-plus yard throws. That was part of the reason why he graded pretty well. You added Jalen Waddle to the mix at 11. Let's assume Devontae and Chase are off the board. Waddle, Slayton, and Shepard. You got some speed there. Evan Ingram's still there, but I don't know if they're going to want him on the roster much going forward, so you still want to look at tight end. And I'd still probably grab another receiver at some point either in free agency or the draft just to just to hedge and have more weapons how do you do you think last year we were looking at this receiving group and we liked a lot of them um in terms of the draft cd lamb jerry judy um henry ruggs 
and the question was how high do they all go and there seemed to be they seemed to slip a little bit right like the earliest yep. one was rugs at was he go 11 and then lamb slipped down to dallas in the teens judy went all the way to 20 or whatever it was do you see a similar i, I don't want to say slide because who the hell knows if they were ever as high as people thought they were but do you think that the receivers in this group, given that they have fairly similar analogs to last year, end up going in roughly the same areas? Yeah, because I think <clears throat> what ultimately happens, you know, we talk a lot about value over here and how receivers are really value, valuable. But it comes down to scarcity, which is really how difficult is it to get the next best receiver versus the next best tackle, right? And the, the reason why the NFL was always like, first round, you get your QBs, you get your left tackles, you get your edges – was because historically it's those the hit rates are higher not not on quarterbacks necessarily but on tackles and edges right so Panace like at 11 the Giants right what could happen to make them have a pick of those three wide receivers what would yeah. make Jamar Chase Devontae that's Smith, the thing and those guys like, we're working on the basis that Jamar Chase is going to go like number three right but they like last year we were thinking that uh, you would pro- you could have two top ten receivers out of that group. Judy and Judy and Lamb could go in the top ten. Like it sounds ridiculous, but the Giants could very well have their choice. Maybe not of all three. It feels a stretch to get Chase all the way I, I to eleven. Th- I think Miami, but at least a two of the three. Yeah, I think Miami's going to get a receiver. <laughs> Miami feels like the team. They're, they're the first team that doesn't need a QB in theory, right? They're probably going to roll with Tua. Yeah, they're the first team that doesn't need a QB. I could see a team trading up. Because there's five legitimate first round quarterbacks, and I think people are going to position maybe up to three to get to, to Miami. Of course, we said the same thing last year. There was no trades, but Miami feels like the team that could trade down to seven or eight to the Lions or the Panthers and grab the first receiver there. But I could easily see the Giants having the, their pick of wide rec- the second wide receiver off the board, and I think that's the play for them. Is it not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, I I, I don't think that all of them will last to I, 11. But my I point would also is, be tempted by the other corner, right? James Bradbury had a really good solid season last year. Opposite him, you've got Julian Love, you've got Sam Beal, you have a whole bunch of darts, Darnay Holmes, a whole bunch of darts being thrown there. If they, they got the other of Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn, I would love that too. I think either, you know, either way, I think that's the Giants' play there that would maximize their value. Yeah, um, I, I think the big thing that they need to do is repair that offensive line, though, because – Particularly when we just talked about the weakness that Daniel Jones has, the obli- the obliviousness in the pocket. The more you can reduce the impact of that, the better. And I, it's a it's a force multiplier for Jones more than it is for most quarterbacks who <laughs> have an awareness of what's breaking down around them in the pocket. Uh, you need Daniel Jones to have a good platform to work from. So let's try and fix that offensive line. You have to assume that Andrew Thomas will get better year two. Yeah, he uh, got better down the stretch. Yeah, and they're trying to trade Nate Solder. Yeah. They're trying to get out from under that contract. And Thomas, was he was our number one tackle in that draft as a prospect. They reworked his mechanics from a, a pass set point of view. So there was a reason that he struggled right out of the gate. It wasn't just, oh, wow, everybody screwed that eval up. Like, they worked on his technique to the point where, okay, now you're trying to adjust to the NFL level and learn a new technique at the same time. Of course, you're going to have some problems. Um, and then he also got eviscerated by Hassan Reddick randomly down the stretch, which didn't help. But other than that, he did show some sort of marked signs of improvement. So you have to assume that he'll be better year two and probably decent at left tackle. So here's what I would look at. If they're going to, if Nate Solder comes back, he was coming off of his worst season in 2019. 
But his previous seasons were, you know, that pretty average left tackle. They overpaid for an average left tackle, but he's, you know, decent run blocker, decent pass blocker. That's definitely a step up from what they had last year. And if Andrew Thomas played right tackle next year, it's not the worst thing in the world. I don't think they want that, though. They invested in Thomas yeah. as a draft pick. I think they want to keep him at left tackles because that's what he played last year. I think their initial plan was start him at right side, Solder on the left, and eventually move on from Solder. We're there, I think. If they move on from Solder, Andrew Thomas plays left tackle. Now we're talking about Rashawn Slater being available at 11, potentially, the Northwestern tackle. And maybe that's their play. They're back-to-back seasons grabbing a tackle and it goes back to that philosophy of how do you build around your future quarterback do you go offensive line first do you go wide receiver you go offensive line maybe just until it's back toward average and and they're not there yet yes agreed um where do you think they could attack free agency and solve some of these problems rick wagner was the guy that that came to mind there as potential starting right tackle he's 56 on our free agent board might not be a massive number for him coming off. He's just been a good, I use the word solid a million times when you talk about free agents because that's what hits free agency. Good, solid right tackle for the majority of his career. If you had Wagner in there with Thomas at left tackle, Solder hits the trading block, you still have Zeitler at right guard. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Left guard, still waiting for Will Hernandez to develop. Hasn't happened in three years. That's not good. And center was happening. a major issue. Nick Gates went and played center last year at, after not even playing center. So you still have to figure something out at those two positions. But there are some bargain centers out there too down the road that could that could be upgrades. Yeah, and they're they're the team or the next team that you're gonna that I'm gonna send uh, Matt Filer to. Like Ooh. low price, proven starting caliber uh, offensive lineman at both tackle and guard. It, it's not gonna cost you much. Fit they, him in one of them. They are absolutely yeah, a team that should be grabbing him, starting him at right tackle, starting him at guard, wherever you need him to be. He'll probably be an upgrade over what it is you have. Absolutely grab him. They should also be a team looking at Austin Ryder, a guy that's been a Super Bowl champion now. Um, decent center. Like, again, they're, they're the perfect test case for what we talked about earlier. It, center isn't a difficult position to fix until you don't have one and you suddenly realize how important it is. The Giants don't have a center. Austin Ryder is not going to be the best center in the NFL anytime soon. But he can start, and he can do a good job for a championship-caliber roster. They should absolutely be grabbing him versus, you know, someone like Corey Lindsley, who was the best center in the NFL last year, but is probably going to get paid like right. Yeah, they probably Ryder won't be. But so if you plugged in a guy like Ryder, you plugged in a guy like Filer. Those are two low price but reasonably safe additions. I would say. I you know we talked about when you bring in these guys. Who the hell knows? The Jets, right? They threw a lot at that offensive line. Most of it didn't work year one. Maybe it'll never work. You you never know. Half the one out of two might hit. Neither of them might hit. But I would say if you brought in both those guys, A, the cost wouldn't be much, and B, you would have a better than average chance of getting to average play at the two positions those guys played in. Yeah. The other name I'll throw in there is Nick Martin, who was released by the Texans, if Daniel Jones is the top priority. Martin has some pretty distinct splits. As far as run blocking versus pass blocking, been one of the better pass blocking centers, one of the worst run blocking centers. But if pass pro is the priority, also Nick Martin, potential reunion with Zach Martin, his brother in mm-hmm. Dallas, who needs a center, you know, if they decide to go that way. But just keep an eye on Nick Martin, too. He's 120 on our free agent board. So I like that. Two lower priced free agents. I would throw, if, if Rick Wagner's there, your offensive line's creeping back toward average. My concern with the Giants roster, though, is we're sitting there at 11. <coughs> 
I'm going to throw Quiddy Pay, the edge, into the mix too. They could use a dynamic edge. They could use a corner. They could use a receiver. So there's a lot of key positions there. Yeah. Uh, but I would focus on receiver and corner. It, it feels like because Daniel Jones is the thing for them, the, 2021 is like a referendum on Daniel Jones, at which point you need to address offense almost exclusively to just give him the best chance. And stay feisty on D. Yeah, stay, stay feisty <laughs> on D. We can deal with that another time. But we need to find Daniel Jones some protection and some receivers to throw to, and then we'll deal with everything else down the line. Fixed. Done. Philadelphia Eagles. Ooh. Here we go. Mm. As Chris likes to say. And here we go. But not for a good reason. We in full rebuild mode in Philadelphia. Well, job one is, what is your quarterback? Because it Pick can't it. be Jalen Hurts going forward as the exclusive sole option on this position, correct? Can we just start start there? Can we agree that we're not rolling into 2021 with Jalen Hurts as our franchise quarterback? Let's go. Yes. Good. Next. Now so what are we doing? Sixth overall. Yes. I'm taking the best QB on the board, I guess. Six overall is a... But I don't know. Do Rough you, spot. Do you to want be. QB four at number six? That's the thing, right? So you're now you're the team that everybody wants to jump ahead of if they want a quarterback. So if you're Carolina, you have to jump above Philadelphia, knowing that the Eagles are probably taking a quarterback. Yeah, they're in that spot where like so now you're in an even tougher spot where you you're thinking, well, do we sit at six and have to take potentially the fourth best quarterback on the board, or do we have to trade up to do it? To secure the quarterback that we want, do we have to trade up above the teams that want to trade above us to snag the quarterback? That's not a nice place to be. Do you have a – what if they don't go QB? What if they do roll Jalen Hurts and they're like, this is a multi-year – Rebuild. Rebuild. So they've been, they've been building. This is, the, this is like the crescendo, right? They kind of – they had a really good solid roster for a few years. Remember, we, let's, let's back up five years here with the Eagles. They were the team – that every year in PFF offseason roster rankings would be near the top of the league. Yeah. Except in the positions we tell every team to go draft and sign, which is corner and receiver. They finally got better at those two positions and they won a Super Bowl. And then they so that was so in fifteen and sixteen, good roster. Seventeen, they got strong in the right spots to add to that roster to go to the Super Bowl. Eighteen, nineteen, and twenty, nineteen and twenty in particular, they're trying to maintain that roster as much as possible. There's injuries. There's Wentz regression. There's all sorts of stuff happening. But it was like they were doing everything they could to kind of like maintain that championship-level roster, which they had before their championship season. So this has been a long time coming. Do you just go full rebuild here? And it's like that old philosophy of you don't always just draft the quarterback. You put the roster in place first. This isn't a good team right now. And there's probably going to be even more guys released here from the Eagles. Do you just go full rebuild and just say, we'll figure out quarterback later. We'll give Jalen Hurts a spot, a shot. But maybe we're in the top 10 again next year, or top five, and who cares? They are also buried in fairly significant salary cap hell right now, right. Um, which is only getting worse because you got rid of Carson Wentz and the giant dead cap hit that they that takes, right? That's what I mean. Like, Aren't they, they even they're, compete this year? They, is, I'm right in saying they're – no, it's the Rams, right, that are responsible for two of the worst three dead cap hits of all time. But the Eagles have taken a fairly significant chunk to get rid of Carson Wentz. They are projected right now to be $34 million above the salary cap. So it's not like you can just clear, clear some space and go spending. There's a pretty good argument that says this is a team ripe for a teardown. Just strip this thing for assets, get rid of 
anyone that's above, you know, 28 years of age, bye-bye Brandon Graham, bye-bye Zach Ertz, all those sort of aging guys that have been great for you during this run. Graham's trying to restructure. He wants to come back. Yeah, but that's what you're talking about, right? It's like if you want to come back in this building, you need to be like, we need to change the contract here because our window is closed now. The wind, you know, we opened the Super Bowl window. We got there. uh, Now the window is shut. It's done. We got rid of the quarterback we thought was going to extend it. The window is closed. We need to strip this thing down, renovate it, and come back again. I'm the more you talk it out, I'm kind of with you. I think that's actually their play. And honestly, at that point, trade out a six. Don't even pick a guy there. Get back. Trade it for a next. Trade it for a future pick where you actually might, you know, a deploy them. one. Yeah. Trade six. Move down the draft. Get next year's one. Now you got two first round picks to make your move. No, that's a tempting spot for the Eagles. Uh, they already cut Deshaun Jackson. Pretend, uh, Alshon Jeffrey all but assured to be cut, right? That yep. wasn't official yet. Malik Jackson, defensive interior player, will probably get cut. Derek Barnett's another potential one that saves $10 million this year. Marquise Goodwin, who they brought in, he opted out last year. Also a potential cut for to save $4 million. There's a lot potentially on the chopping block. And, and, and once again, to just reiterate what their foundation was for all those years was offensive line and defensive line. Mm-hmm. The O-line is now like left tackles, a big question mark. Jason Peters, once again, a free agent and, um, or soon, why do we have him as a soon to be free? He's not on the market. They signed him for two years. So I'm looking at the wrong sheet here. Hmm. Jason Peters is getting old. Yes. Um, very old. And he had to fill in a tackle after all the injuries last also year. Jordan Mailata is a free agent who was that intriguing, you know, former rugby player starter. Brandon Brooks coming off of injury mm-hmm. from last year. So we don't know what he, we're going to get from him. They just restructured Jason Kelsey. So it's a little old and mishmashed on the offensive line after that had been one of their best units for a while. They're ready to trade Zach Ertz uh, and replace him fully with Dallas Goddard. So it's just overhaul everything. So I think the idea of trading down as much as possible sounds great. The amount that they are over the cap right now, by the way, is almost the exact number that they are counting in dead cap hit for Carson Wentz. They're $34.1 million projected over the cap. That's and third worst as of the second yeah, right now. And Carson Wentz accounts for $33.8 million of that whilst not being on the roster. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in full rebuild mode here, man. Okay. So what, is, what does, other than cutting everybody we just talked about, what does a full rebuild entail for them? It, I think I don't know that you invest in quarterback in the first round. I, I think you have to just add good players all across the roster well that so that's the problem right is rebuild is great but it isn't just about stripping the thing down so we get rid of every we'll get rid of all our dead weight we're going to free up some cash now what are our additions because you have to actually add some pieces so that you're not just a complete shell of a team you draft like the vikings did last year what they bring in 15 draft picks yeah you trade down to, to add 12 right uh-huh. right now currently the, the, all of whom started and almost all picks. of whom were a disaster because that's what happens when you rely on rookies year that's, one that's fine justin jefferson cameron dantzler looked good dancer had some problems and then came good gladney will be fine like they'll be okay they'll be all right okay i mean well the point is they probably won't be a lot of them won't work out but that's the reason you get 15 of them right because if, if the goal realistically to, if you if you have three good players come out of the draft every year you're doing a it's a good, good draft yeah right and three out of seven you have to hit on 42.9 percent sam if you, if you have seven draft picks if Your you have 15 draft is, picks is this one's easy that's ridiculous. only 20 percent. yeah so you just need a 20 percent. i can do rate that one to get three yeah. 
But you have, but if you do hit on 42.9% on 15 draft picks, you're at like five and a half players. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's actually six and a half players. Okay. So you'd rather get six and a half players than three players. So draft 15 times. But realistically, with nine picks, you could draft. They got three on day two, trade down in day one, knowing that the quarterbacks are going to be a hot commodity, even though you need one. Bite the bullet this year. Hmm. Problem, they have six is a really awkward spot for them to be picking because I don't know what kind of marketplace you're going to have to trade down from six. Um, because I think teams are going to, I guess, see, these are the things we need to talk to like a GM, a guy that's on the phones in the, in, in the war room on draft day and find out how this kind of stuff works. Because so, in theory, Carolina is, is looking at the draft board and they're like, we got to get above Philadelphia because they're picking a quarterback. But if you're Philadelphia, do you just get on the phone with Carolina and you're like, hey, we don't want a quarterback. If you're interested, our pick's for sale. What do you want to do to make this happen? Is that how this works? Or is it like a Cold War scenario where you just have to somehow let it be known that your pick would be available if, they're, if they yeah. so offered, but you can't tell them you don't want a quarterback? It's good. Look, last year at this time, we thought that people were going to be maneuvering for Tua and or Herbert or whatever they want. We didn't think Herbert, but whatever they wanted at quarterback. And Miami just sat at five and picked Tua. Chargers sat at six and got Herbert. And there was no movement. Mm. So there, there, there is that possibility. So if the Eagles do have to just pick at six, I think it's the same thing we're talking about with every other team. One of those corners is really intriguing. And one of those wide receivers is really intriguing. Also, if they have to pick at six, I mean, there's a chance that the quarterback they want falls and they just grab him, right? Who would that be? I would, I, I would like Justin Fields. For them does it feel we're in silly season draft season bullshit season smokescreen season whatever it is does it feel like justin fields stock is slipping and actually the league is less keen on him than other people it does i think there's i think it's <coughs> in part so trevor lawrence has just been sitting there at number one overall. and will be like, if lawrence wasn't a part of this draft yes it would be chaos you'd have zach wilson maneuver there'd be like this buzz that like, you hey, have wilson Wilson's going through the roof yeah you'd have Fields going down, you'd have Trey Lance with this like X factor of who the hell knows what he is, and Mac Jones coming out of nowhere from on the rails <laughs> to try and pip everybody down the final furlong. There's more and more Mac Jones won't get lower than X yes. buzz. X being a single digit right. number. High. Carolina. Eight. You know what it feels like? Remember when Blake Bortles got drafted third by the Jaguars? Yes. And uh, Daniel Jeremiah was talking about it. He goes, man, I've got friends in the Jags front office and they were um you know Caldwell David Caldwell he's like they didn't tell anybody Caldwell it was like two people knew right the entire time nobody knew Blake Bortles was going that high and they just assumed he was like a mid first round pick or whatever late first round pick that feels like what Mac like Mac Jones is just gonna go third somebody's gonna trade up get him at third over fields over Trey Lance and it's gonna be like whoa didn't expect that and I mean we still have two more months to hype that up but I could, <clears throat> like if Mac Jones was the third QB off the board hmm. after Zach Wilson, I wouldn't be that surprised anymore. Wow. I mean, same because I'm hearing weird things, but that would be insane when you think about it. Um, I, I would like Fields. But that, like, that opens up the very real possibility that Justin Fields is sitting there at six when the Eagles pick, at which point, I mean, you almost have to do that, right? I would take Fields at six. I'd be all in on Fields at six. Yeah. He, I mean, his, ready, Eagles fans? Watching his tape in college did remind me a little bit of Carson Wentz. Oh, okay. I got a whole lot of Carson Wentz vibes watching Justin Fields. In that, arm talent is there, velocity's there. 
Um, he's a better athlete than Wentz. He could do a lot with it with the run game. It was just the processing speed at times and just the game looking slow. And he getting is stuck at the top yeah, of the pocket. He has such a weird evaluation because some of the things he does are amazing. Um, also, that uh, college football playoff semifinal game has to do a lot for his stock in terms of like helpful. He was genuinely fantastic in that game. Um, but so there's a lot of talk right now about, oh, he's really slow to process, get through his reads. And that feels like the kind of thing that people just say about quarterbacks when they don't like them. I, I, don't, I, I don't know that that's a real thing that people are actually evaluating as much as just, hey, I've decided I'm not in love with this quarterback, so let's find plays where he's slow to process and say that's his problem. Because I think you can genuinely find that about every quarterback in college because most of the offenses – just don't ask them to do that that much. So, right. of course, he's going to look slow to process because genuinely, his like the offense is essentially here's your pre-snap look. You're going to go to that guy, turn, wait for that guy to be open, hit him with the ball. The end. Occasionally, they're going to take that guy away from you, and when they do, now you've got to find someone else, and it's going to take a little bit of time. Right? That it's a Justin Fields problem. I think you'll find it's a problem for basically any quarterback in college if you're looking for it. But I don't know how much of that is a him problem versus an Ohio State offense problem because so much of it, it was a little bit like Josh Allen's offense where in college it looked like the whole thing was set up to just make his arm look good. Like you're going to hit yeah. the far side, the open side of the field on a hitch, right? And because you're the only guy in this conference that can make that throw, you're going to look like Superman every play. Fields, it's just, well, here's your pre-snap look. You're, that guy's going to be open. Just give him time and then hit him. But The end. But – what you're saying is doesn't necessarily change the evaluation. All it does is but, change the way you say it. It's so instead of saying he's not good at this, which is the way people phrase it, it's he hasn't been asked to do this. Yeah, which so is it's fine. a question, not a not a declaration, but which I think in, is fair. But it's inherently the same risk, but because you still haven't seen him do it, whether it's whether he can do it or whether he's been asked to do it, you're in, you're inherently you're you're inheriting the same risk. Uh, I think it's a different risk knowing that a guy struggles at something versus not knowing he doesn't i think that's a different risk because that was the mahomes risk right which is i don't have any idea if this guy can actually play within the pocket on 80 percent of his snaps and function in an nfl offense we hadn't seen that he couldn't it wasn't a definitive declaration that he absolutely no way he can do this like the guy's crazy will not whatever that would be an issue but not knowing he couldn't is just a risk. And that, I think, is why where he went was about the right place. It's like what he's doing in college is incredible. But I don't know if that functions at the NFL level. And because I don't know that, I can't take him at like two or one. I just can't. It's too big a risk. So Fields, I think it's a similar question but or a similar issue, but in a different – the question is different. We don't know that he struggles um, going – deeper into his progressions and working through his reads quickly but we also uh don't know that he definitely can't and that i think is an issue what, what is interesting is renner on the two for one podcast has pulled out this stat that ben stockwell relayed to me that his average time to throw against the blitz is longer than it is against no blitz yeah and that's basically the only quarterback in the world for whom that's true Everybody else, you get rid of the ball quicker because the pass rush is coming at you and there's nothing you can do about it. So is that the scheme? Well, is that the scheme or is that an actual indication of this struggle to process things? And that, you know, you talked about him getting stuck at the top of the pocket sometimes. You can find things on tape where you're like, uh, that's... Let me just I say what the... That. Yeah, like the play that sticks in my head was the unblocked pressure versus Northwestern where he's just like... 
freezes. Looking, looking to the right, and yeah. he just gets popped. The, but the, so o- the other I, thing about it, the one, one thing I would say, though, is that so that stuff is various shades of concerning depending on how you interpret it, right? If it's, if it's a genuine problem to, like, process things at any kind of speed, it's really concerning. If it's just we haven't seen too much of it and it's a big unknown in his game, it's mildly concerning and it might cause him to slip. But the flip side of that for me is – he makes so much stuff look ridiculously easy. He's just a bigger, better athlete than the guys he's going up against in the Big Ten. It's not like we're talking about Josh Allen, you know, Wyoming, right. or uh, Trey Lance in the FCS. We are talking about a guy in the Big Ten making defenses and other people look like they're just regular mortal humans out there. That I'm coming around to the idea that that translates to the NFL level. I thought I used to think the opposite, where if a guy did that, you would go well. You get to the NFL, the athletes are bigger, stronger, faster, so it negates that. I, I think now the reverse is true, that if you're able to look like that, particularly at a high level of college, you will look like that in the NFL too. So there's a huge amount of his game where you're like, I mean, it's just too easy for him. It's, he's got a better arm, he's faster, he's a bigger athlete. It's just, it's, it's simple. So he's going to have a lot of that, I think, in the NFL as well, which will help him offset anything he does struggle with. Yeah. So all that makes sense to me. And I think the, the thing where I keep talking myself into ignoring fields, being slow at times, and I mentioned this before they played each other, when Lawrence seems to go wrong, it's when he goes too quick, speeds up, and his, his footwork's off. When field seems to go wrong, it's when he slows down a little bit too much. I always look back historically. I mention this all the time. Tom Brady at Michigan played a long, developing, slow game. Even his rookie season, things were slower and longer developing. He, he developed quickness. Garoppolo, when he first played in the Patriots system, looked slow. Wentz, in college, looked slow and as a rookie, looked fast. Once you get into different systems and mastery of the system, like that does change things. But the one difference I'll say, we always talk about sack rate being on the quarterback, and that would be the most concerning number. It's not like, oh, he's slow to process this and that. He does take way too many sacks. 21 last year on just 281 dropbacks. That's crazy high, and it's, it was a similar number the year before. Wentz didn't have that. Like Garoppolo didn't have that. They didn't have the sack rate. Even if they weren't getting around the field as quickly as you wanted, they weren't getting sacked. So that is the thing that you're just kind of assuming will will be there. And if you, if that's the case, that's Deshaun Watson, that's Russell Wilson, that's a little bit of Josh Allen. So everything else does have to be special. People have Compton to Wilson a lot, right? Like a bigger Russell Wilson. I think so. Yeah, because like the turnover worthy plays have been low. By the way, that's all. If you have our college product, college premium stats, college subscription. It's all in there, man. Big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays are in there at pff.com. Go check it out. So I'm looking at Fields' page. Turnover-worthy plays have been in the twos, and but it's that sack number in the time to throw over three. But that, again, year. is very Russell Wilson-esque, which is why I bring that up. Like It, it is. If that's already been one of his comps in terms of a bigger Russell Wilson, that propensity to take more sacks than you should, which has obviously become topical now that Russell Wilson's getting upset by that, that's a Russell Wilson trait. Like it, it, it just adds into that comp. So I would, I would take Fields at six. I'd be fine with that. Uh, I would still like to let him sit and develop. I think you could do that a little bit with Hertz. You don't have to for- like Hertz would be the starter going into next year. You don't have to force Fields into there yet. Okay, here's your plan. I got to fix it for you, right? Russ or Russell Wilson 2.0, the larger version. Justin Fields will be there at number six. The Eagles take Justin Fields at six. They there, they then have pick number 37, top of the second round, right? Top of the second round, get out of there. Now you get next year's first. Trade ne- trade number like two, that. 37 overall, for a first next year. And now you have two first-round picks next season to really strip the whole roster bare, 
roll with Justin Fields, say, hey, Justin, it's going to be a sucky rookie year, but, you know, deal with it. Peyton Manning had to. Next year we're going to start really throwing some resource at this. Eagles fixed because we're playing the long game. Yep. We're trading down. We're getting another quarterback into the mix, and we're not we're not going – don't even look. Look, Eagles fans, go check out the PFF free agent rankings and all that stuff. Like, we want you there. <laughs> but they're not for you. But just don't dream of any of these signings. Just don't. Well, don't – don't – don't – um, don't start getting attached to any name above like number 100. You know, <laughs> right. check. We're going to make it up. We're going to get that list up to 250 next week. So go check out 101 to 250 next week. PFF free agent board. All right, let's go to the football team. The what are we doing at quarterback team. here? <sighs> Another team where they're in not the best spot in the world for grabbing a quarterback. They got rid of Alex Smith. Um, <laughs> reports that they didn't even want him last year. He just like <laughs> ruined their plans by being somehow the greatest freakish comeback of all time. You just can't bank on Alex Smith's health and all that stuff. It's just, it's sad. No, I mean, they're, they're 100% the right to move on from him now. Right. Whether they were right last year to be like, hey, we would actually kind of like it if you didn't come back, that's more questionable. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Look, he, Alex Smith didn't even play that well when he came back. Coming back was insane. But a bigger concern, I think, was not even the level of play. It's that he got, I think, multiple or multiple injuries or one injury that was recurring to the calf that he essentially had to have replaced. And at that point, it's like, hey, look, the the thing that he has to have, the like brace to support his calf muscle is actually causing calf strains because it puts pressure on it. Like every time he has to push off, it's harder. So now you're talking about an old quarterback that didn't play very well that lost half his leg, and that leg now may be a recurring problem to him going forward. I mean, that's just not a particularly marketable commodity or something you want to rely on. So for QB analysis, do we just copy and paste our uh, Patriots discussion? Well, so you have Taylor Heineke, who at the very minimum is better than Jarrett Stidham. Like, the Patriots have nothing. They have genuinely no option at quarterback right now and are trying to find one. The Washington football team has Taylor Heineke, who played, I think, the best playoff game we saw from anybody last year. Was it the highest single game grade from any quarterback in the postseason? Bear in mind, this is a postseason with Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. uh, Like, four of the five top-graded quarterbacks in the NFL played in the postseason, played in the championship games. Um, And yet the best single game grade from any of them came from Taylor Heineke against the Super Bowl champions. Um, so, but <laughs> you're talking about like 70 snaps. Right. So it's not a lot to go on. But it is more than Jarrett Stidham. So I, I don't think if you're Washington, you can roll into the season thinking that Taylor Heineke is your answer. But he isn't a bad insurance policy slash backup now. There's, there's rumors that Ryan Fitzpatrick is ready to retire. It's just sad. It really is. But how he's number two on our QB free agent board. Dak is technically a free agent, so he's number one. Yes. So if Dak resigns, whatever, Ryan Fitzpatrick becomes the top free agent quarterback on our board. How tempted are you as the football team, the defending NFC East champions with a pretty good defense coming along, you know, coming together hmm. to grab Fitzpatrick and then, you know, this whole th- he's the bridge quarterback for the to what, ninth year in a row. But What's the alternative? But you need a like you're, but a bridge are you has to go to somewhere. Go win? Yeah. <laughs> at the are moment, you, 
Ryan Fitzpatrick is a bridge out into the middle of nothing. He's just a bridge out into the middle of the Grand Canyon. The alternative is once you, you have no bridge it, into nothing. There has to be a quarterback starting for the football well, team. But the alternative year. is, so either you build a bridge halfway into the middle of the Grand Canyon, and when you step off the end of it, you just plummet 3,000 feet to your death, or you stay on your side of the Grand Canyon and don't attempt to cross the giant hole in the ground. Like Washington currently is on their side of the Grand Canyon. How would you do that? What do you mean, how would you? Well, right now, you just how don't. How does he preclude you from doing that, from finding he... another option? That's just the first step. My question is, are you tempted to go back-to-back in the NFC East, which is not good, as we've been laying out here for the last hour. With no quarterback. <laughs> which is not good. Fitz is playing the best football of his career over the last three years. You go nuts with find, te- finding Terry McLaurin some, some friends, friends. For, for the QB to throw to. All the while, yes, you're, you're, you're evaluating Tyler Heineke, and maybe he ends up being the guy, and he's straight up competing with, with Fitzpatrick. Mm. But he becomes your bridge. While you, but you don't, like, it's not keeping you from drafting anybody or doing anything else. I will say there are te- we've talked before about this idea of rolling year-to-year with an old veteran quarterback that can give you vaguely half-decent play. Um, and I think the only reason we advocate that at times is because you do get a situation every now and again where a team is actually quite good and therefore has no real shot at acquiring a quarterback in the draft and not that much chance of acquiring a good quarterback in free agency or trade because they're just hard to come by like Washington is a good enough team right now that they should they should be uh, they should be one of the most active teams on the phone to Houston to Seattle to Dallas no, Dallas, okay, in, divi- in the division, so that's not happening. But to, to Houston and to Seattle to try and pry Wilson or Deshaun Watson away from their teams because you add that to Washington and suddenly you're a contender. Um, if you can't achieve that, I would say you're probably better adding a Ryan Fitzpatrick and rolling with Fitzpatrick and Heineke. And then next year, whatever that it may, next year it's uh, maybe a Marcus Mariota if he stays this year with the Raiders. And just year to year until you get in a position where you actually have a shot at something better, then you are saying, oh, man, we need to do something. Let's trade for a Marcus Mariota or I I could buy that. Like Fitzpatrick will give you viable play. Maybe not every game, which is the risk with Ryan Fitzpatrick is sometimes it won't be viable. And that's you just have to. But Taylor Heineke, when Ryan Fitzpatrick goes and craps himself in one of those random games in like November, out you go, Taylor. Let's see if you can back up that postseason performance. I think he could be the guy. We don't know. But, like, look, I'm saying, isn't it tempting? Because last year at this time, it looked like the football well, team is the attempting. Giants. It might be their best bet. But I'm saying, because with Ron Rivera there, too, he's probably the best coach in the division. Already kind of showed that in year one. They don't have the, be- they don't have the best talent in the division. Obviously, there had to be some other injuries with the two top teams, Dallas and Philadelphia. But a year ago at this time, it's like full rebuild mode in, in, in Washington. And they're still kind of there. But Rivera gives them a shot every year. And they're moving in the right direction. you got a real that really good defensive line. Once again, from a secondary standpoint, Ronald Darby's a free agent. you got to either bring him back or figure out how to replace him. Um, but they're a few pieces away from just still kind of being you know, right in the top of the mix of the NFC East. Fitzpatrick gives them a chance to make the playoffs. I know that's not appealing for the long term. But I think that might be the play for the football team. Yeah, there was a the closest team I can think of that did this, whether by design or by accident, and was actually halfway decent one doing it, is the Minnesota Vikings in the 1990s. 
In the 1990s, the Minnesota Vikings started one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, ten quarterbacks if you count Dante Culpepper in 2000, who's the the guy that finally broke finally the streak. So they finally lost enough games to be picking at, what are they, 11 when they got Culpepper? And then Culpepper was the guy until he got injured. Um, but, like, basically a full slate of quarterbacks for that entire decade. They just And they were all, like, old veterans. So, you know, Wade Wilson, Tommy Craver, Rich Gannon, um, Sean Salisbury, Jim McMahon, Warren Moon, Brad Johnson. He wasn't that old at that point. Randall Cunningham was a complete retread out of retirement at that point. Um, and then Those Jeff, receivers made Jeff George, Jeff George look like, good. Nuts. And then finally Dante Culpepper, the young guy to take over. But they went an entire decade because the rest of that team was good, able to win some games. And, okay, they maybe never really you know contended or were a Super Bowl-bound team, but they – Close. Yeah, they, they got close. They It did what it – it probably did what you would expect like any – if you just drafted a quarterback in the top ten, like if they had Culpepper for that decade – did he do that much better once they got him? Eh, not really. So they've got the fourth most cap space, so they've got some some room to play around with. I think from uh, where to allocate resources, I do think they need to figure out left tackle. Right guard, uh, Brandon Sharp's a free agent. I don't know if you want to pay him to come back. Play the bargain basement, right guard spot? I don't know. It's not a great offensive line, but they performed pretty well last year. Left tackle's a question. But McLaurin and friends. McLaurin's like a true number one wide receiver, speed threat, good route runner. Hasn't been maximized with this QB situation that's been in Washington. So where would you go? Like what's the best complimentary piece for McLaurin if they are going to go the free agent route? Will Fuller? (laughs) Hey, I haven't mentioned him in a while. That's true. It's a whole new show. Nobody's listening to the other ones. You can just Imagine start that over. Speed, McLaurin and Fuller. Yeah, you can just start over. People um, are people love these. By the way, they love these shows when we get into detail here. I mean, I think their receiver is enough of an issue that you can you should be hitting in both free agency and the draft. So free agency, it's such a weird spot because we think that the top three guys are going to go. They're going to get taken off the board with the franchise tag: Godwin, Robinson, Galladay. Will Fuller is your number one guy, Steve. Um, but yeah. you know if they. The next two guys on the list after Will Fuller are Juju Smith-Schuster and Corey Davis, who are very different receivers in terms of where you would deploy them. But I think that would it would achieve the same thing in that you could plug one spot on your offense with one of those guys and then hit the draft for the next one. So if you get Corey Davis in free agency, Corey Davis would be walking into essentially the same situation in Washington, which is, I don't need you to be a number one. I have a great guy over there who came from the same draft class as A.J. Brown, and you just be you. Yeah. Now I go into the draft, and at where are we? Number 19, 21? Yeah, 19. 19, I'm in prime position for a Kadarius Tony or a Rondale Moore or one of the top slot guys that you love. Now I've got a whole array of our weaponry. I've got Terry McLaurin, I've got Corey Davis, and I've got Kadarius Tony in my offense to go crazy with. And I've got Antonio Gibson out of the backfield. I'm partying with Logan Ryan Fitz. Thomas emerging. I'm just – our projected numbers for Corey Davis and Juju being at four years, 16 to $17 million per. That's mm, rich. As, as much as Corey Davis is a future Hall of Famer, uh-huh. oh, man, I'm just not attracted <laughs> to that. I would I would rather, you know, grab a T.Y. Hilton for a couple of years even though he's getting older. I, I know that's not – it's this weird spot, right? But th- that just feels like better value well, until you get a yeah. true number two, him or Marvin Jones. I'd be tempted by Nelson Aguilar. Hmm. 
Uh, and Nelson Aguilar, well, if you want to go like essentially a poor man's version of what we just talked about, it's it's 40 spots lower on the free agent board, which is Nelson Aguilar or Sammy Watkins. Again, different positions fulfill the same role and allow you hit the draft for the other guy. So whether it's, you know, they're, they're in a position where if you hit the slot guy in free agency, you can grab a, you know, Rashad Bateman maybe at 19. I don't know how high he's going to go, but. It's a right. Bateman we've put to a few different teams in the first round around that spot. Yeah, it's the it's right nice. kind of area. Maybe he doesn't yeah. last to you, but I think it's a realistic target. Um, and there'll be other options there as well. Or you hit the Sammy Watkins deal and you go for the slot again. So I, I think that's the way to do it is find one of your two receivers that you need in free agency and find the other in the draft. Uh, Ronald Darby was – they got – the reason why we tell everybody to sign Ronald Darby in free agency is because what he did last year with the football team 70 grade just good solid play helped turn that secondary into one of the better ones in the nfl they got to figure out how to replace him because he was really good and that's you know the same type of player uh, that, that, that they'd be looking for i don't know if it's darby but that type of you know high upside low risk type of players 76 overall grade for darby last year that's really good it is it's pretty good for one year of free agency so they gotta have to do that from a cornerback standpoint how do we feel about Washington? D-line still solid? I like the idea of fixing them by Fitzpatrick. Fitzmagic. Give the man nice. one last go-around at the fair. He's feeling sad. He's unloved. The market for him hasn't been strong. That's wrong. That's not the way Fitzmagic should go out of this league. It's a better league with him in there. Washington should sign him. Fitzmagic drags him to the playoffs, beats somebody, because obviously Fitzmagic has to win a playoff game, and then rides off into the sunset. Washington fixed. Done. NFC North. Chicago Bears, man. Hmm. North, right? Yeah. They are, yeah. So we got Bears, Packers. Ah, you're doing it by... Bears, Lions, yeah. Packers, and then... Vikings. Vikings. Yeah. To go. How are we fixing the Bears? Man, it's like the same situation QB. Oh, well, okay. Let's give them the Deshaun Watson deal. We just said we would never take that if we're the Houston Texans. Yeah, but I've since been convinced otherwise. I, now that we've decided you can't fix the Texans in a year, I think it makes sense to take the deal. Because even if Chicago's first-round picks are all going to be low, or at least for the foreseeable, if you get enough of them, it doesn't matter. Because you can parlay it into something better. And your pick is going to suck once you get one. You don't have one this year because you already traded it away. But next year's pick you're still gonna suck so that one will be really high and you'll have a chicago first and you'll have whatever else they threw at you so just get the largest offer on the table from them and take it do you look at the bears and matt Nagy and say in three years they've made the playoffs twice including a really good 2018 season and they've done all this despite having trubisky playing low 60s pff football yeah low 60s grade that you should view Nagy through this lens of like... I mean, there is an amazing what-if story that yeah. if they just picked the one... If they just didn't pick the one bad quarterback out of the three that they had a shot at at the top of that draft, what would Chicago look like? I mean, they they might have had Philadelphia's window. You know, the Super Bowl team. They, I mean, it's the same coaching tree. It's the same offense. Philadelphia picked a quarterback who went on an MVP caliber season, and then they somehow randomly got two or three games of MVP Nick Foles. Chicago just didn't they just never had the quarterback and it made everything else worse it it's devolved the offense it's just been a train wreck if they had picked Deshaun Watson or if they had fallen in love with Patrick Mahomes I mean wow it's, just, it's a hell of a what if so 
we got to give him. We're just going to give him Watson for this episode. I mean, I would give him this. Watson. What do you want to do with quarterback? I mean, you're the guy who's been talking about the big splash all offseason. They off can't season. do anything else. <laughs> that takes up all they're of their offseason. They're bottom seven in cap space. All right. Um, they're probably going to try to you, you keep Allen Robinson in, right? Hey, we got Deshaun Watson. Allen, stay. Stay in Chicago. Who are you? You franchise tag Allen Robinson, trade him, get some of your collateral back. Use that as to get cheaper at receiver. First, first round the receiver. Right play, man. Because beyond Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney. But are you going to get a long term deal done with Allen Robinson? You want to keep him around for the one year? You think this, like Deshaun yeah, yeah, Watson yeah, coming in, this is your window? You get him long term. You think you're getting him long term? Yeah. With, with what Watson. money? With him and Watson together, they'll they'll figure it out. Watson's coming in and taking away all your money. I feel like I feel like they'd have to give up Khalil Mack in this trade, probably. To perhaps free up money in the future in future years as well, so I think that might be part of this whole deal. I don't think. Look, I think I don't know how good the rest of the Bears roster is right now. They I know made the playoffs with, with Mitchell Trubisky I know, and Nick but the Bowles. Bottom end of the NFC playoff picture was poor. The bottom end was poor. Yeah, they snuck in. Okay, I wouldn't look at oh look at this playoff team. Just is the playoff team is a quarterback away. I'm not seeing that on this roster I think this is a pretty good team remember their offensive line fell apart in a similar way to Dallas's for a period like this is a better team roster wise than they were solid players hitting free agency including you mentioned um Tayshawn Gibson at at safety Allen Robinson at wide receiver Mitchell Trubisky free agent Mm. what if they don't get Watson then they are in trouble they have foals. They're picking in, what, the 20s? Yeah. They are picking number 20. Just a rough situation here. I mean, they're they're boned if they don't get Deshaun Watson. Like, what is your answer? Do they Well, if they don't get Deshaun Watson, they have to throw all of the offer that they were throwing in that direction at Russell Wilson. Because, what? I mean, you've been talking all offseason about the Bears want to make this big splash at quarterback. They didn't get Carson Wentz, if they were even in that. They are exploring. Apparently, yeah. So they're they're they have the biggest offer on the table for Deshaun Watson, which the Texans don't want to take, reasonably so. Um, and then you have the only other quarterback out there as a, a potential upgrade is Russell Wilson. If you end up with none of those three, you're I thought screwed. they might explore Derek Carr, but you know he couldn't. No, that was your big splash, yeah, Derek Carr. That was the thing that I thought they might yeah. think is a splash, right? But the it's, Raiders it's a bigger splash than they've had. <laughs> the, the Raiders apparently love Derek Carr, so that's not happening. So yeah, you're not gonna you, you don't have a shot at a quarterback at twenty, probably. Watson still feels like a reach for me, but if you wanna give it to okay, so how else, well, okay, how else are we I will I will uh cede the point that they don't trade for Deshaun Watson if you give me a viable alternative for what they're doing. Nick Foles. Nick Foles Nick is Foles a viable is option. Be the starter. No. Stop it. Mariota? Everybody in that building is getting fired if Nick Foles is their starting quarterback next year. Them and the Patriots competing for Mariota. God. The Raiders as their starter. Our friend uh, over the cap, Jason, talked about the way they structured Mariota's deal, conducive to being a backup, not conducive to being a starter, essentially the way they have his incentives. Makes the Raiders uh, – it makes it a little bit more difficult for the Raiders to trade Mariota okay. price-wise. So we're back to Deshaun Watson being their quarterback. Sure. Now we keep Allen Robinson. You, are you just you're going to let him walk and keep I money would, free and, and go? I from would there? certainly franchise tag him, and then I would be exploring trading him. 
I mean, if the Patriots will give you a first-round pick for Allen Robinson, I given what I just gave up to get Deshaun Watson, which is presumably everything I have for the next two or three years, I would absolutely try and then get a first-round pick back. Then it's time to get Deshaun Watson weapons, and we're same analysis we just gave all the other teams. Get a wide receiver, round one. Yeah, I mean... Patriots first-round pick, which is 15, which could be all the same types. This would be like the Stephon Diggs deal. You trade Stephon Diggs... Yeah, replace except, him with a Justin Jefferson. That's what the Bears would be hoping for here. Honestly, sort of. But what they would need to do is parlay 15 into like a whole draft again. Like do what the Seahawks did a few years ago with when they dropped it down the for like 12 times. Okay. Like now we're trade, in, trade Allen Robinson. You get 15. You trade 15 for 25 and two more picks. You draft a receiver at 25. You get your two more picks. You trade down once with one of them. You just try and get yourself a draft back through trades. Now we're moving. Bears trade, do everything you can to trade for Deshaun Watson and then trade, turn one pick into 17 Yeah, and go. Uh-huh. Trade down forever. Get yourself a receiver out of those, out of one of those, the top pick, and now you've got something to work with. The only receiver that I think is viable and that they like besides Allen Robinson is Dar- Darnell Mooney. Mm-hmm. Did some nice things last year. Yeah. Uh, tight end, Jimmy Graham, probably not going to be around long. Also, by the way, I'd be really intrigued to see what Anthony Miller looks like with you know Deshaun Watson, a quarterback, not Trubisky and Foles. Maybe. But as they're three, yeah, yeah. Two slots, I mean, I'm not battling for their I'm not number in love two with spot. I'm just saying that you've got to bear in mind that the receiving core they have that we think sucks, by and large, outside of Robinson. I mean, it might be a lot better when you suddenly replace Trubisky with with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I wonder if do you think Khalil Mack would have to be a part of that trade? Like, if Probably. you don't have, if the Bears don't have that top ten caliber pick, yeah, what other asset do they even have? It would, it would have to be it would Robinson to be three... in a tag and trade situation to the Texans. Right? I don't know. I don't think they would trade. I don't think Robinson would be part of it. I'm just saying, what asset do they have? They Allen have, Robinson and Khalil Mack. Are the they only have two. their next three first round picks, which is all you can trade in terms of futures, I believe. And Khalil Mack. And Khalil Mack and all the other picks that they have. So like three first and sec- three years worth of first and seconds, plus Khalil Mack. Yeah, you know, I mean, plus whatever else you can dangle in front of them. Khalil Mack's got some massive cap hits coming up. Yeah. 2020, he was at 26 million, 26, 27, 25, and 23. But they can rework it and extend him. I don't even know if the Texans would want that at that point. They just traded away uh, their best defensive player. Of course they would. He's 30. You can rework his deal, get the cap hits down a little bit. He's still an impact playmaker. So essentially, Deshaun Watson, accumulate draft picks and just figure it out. Hashtag draft good players. Yeah. Fixed. <laughs> Is that it? That's fixed. Well, you got to – yes. They're going to get better. Their offensive line will be better than last year. Their secondary will be better when they get guys like um, Jalen Johnson in year two, having what he showed as a rookie. Yeah, Deshaun Watson, you know, puts him in a good place. We suggest every team just plays the bargain, uh, bargain bin free agents. Well, that's where right? free agency is won. Yeah. So I don't want to sound like redundant for all the teams, but a lot of the same players – on the defensive line, they they could use some defensive line help. You know the um, Tyson Alu Alus of the world who could just provide some value for a couple of years at a, at a decent price. Those are the types of guys I think the Bears should be looking at, especially if we trade for Deshaun Watson. Sam, yeah, they're a great team to go looking in that cornerback market as well. There's Here's a ton of uh, a ton of slot corners. Their slot corner is Buster Screen. Yeah, Screen, right? I, I've heard Did it you? both ways. I don't know. It's both. Look, I, I know how to pronounce names. So let me just. Of course you do. Yes. Screen. Yeah. Okay. 
Let me just say this. Bottom line. Do you see Eric try and pronounce Ouija board? I did. That was funny. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. That's yeah. better than your name pronunciation. Oh, yeah. It was bad. I have no comment because I <laughs> just saying. Yeah. We all make mistakes. You've had some uh, issues. Bottom line. Yeah. If you trade for Deshaun Watson and you give up a massive haul, much like the Texans did to go get Deshaun Watson, big mm-hmm. haul to go get him, the, the, the next three years, you need to draft more, not less. Yes. To maximize Deshaun Watson, you do everything you can to draft more, not less. You bring in 10 players per year. You have to do that because you don't have any first-round draft picks after that. You need more lottery tickets. Every team does, but a thousand times more when you have the quarterback trade up like they did. Yeah, it's, it's I getting mean, quarterback, just, big trade. You just need to recoup picks. You don't. Need, it doesn't even matter where they are. The Patriots had a 20-year dynasty picking at the bottom of the first round every single year. It's not like that Sometimes prohibits... losing their first-round picks. Yeah, yeah. It's not like that prohibits you from being good. You just need to make sure that you keep picking because you're going to miss on a lot of them. But you're going to miss on all of them if you don't pick. So spend your next couple of years recouping draft picks that you gave up to get the quarterback that is supposed to push you over the edge. Bears fixed. Let's go Detroit Lions. Nice. Full rebuild here. Well, we are getting, See, we are getting tough. Rewind. And just go listen to the Eagles analysis, <laughs> right? Uh, except think, they're they're much more term. focused on toughness and kneecap biting. Come on, let's not. He's just lulling you to sleep, Dan Campbell. Yeah. Lulling you to sleep. He's going to be a. Um, I I honestly you, you've, hope you've defended him before. You said, "Look, he's been sitting there learning from Sean Payton. He knows." I have, but that was before two more pieces of information came to light that are starting to change my opinion on the Which subject. Which one? The two pieces of information. The first what, the the story. Zoom call? Yes. The story from the ownership that That's the thing, thing that sold him is that he leaned right into the camera and just said, leaned in, leaned into the camera and said, I really want this job. He knows how to earn trust. That was the thing that swayed them on that. He Dan knows Campbell. how to earn trust. And the second thing being when they asked him, okay, who has final say on, uh, on personnel decisions? And he replied that a true alpha knows when to to bank down or when to seed or whatever his actual wording was <sighs> okay it's just there's a lot of vibes being offered at the moment it's and most of them aren't good leaders leaders serve that's what that's what he's I'm trying just, to say look there's all i'm saying is the stereotype the the lazy thing that was thrown out when people hired dan campbell was this is just some meathead jock who's going to bring toughness and like archaic dinosaur football to the detroit lions and it's a bad hiring and I was like, no, look, the guy's been learning for years to the feet of Sean Payton, one of the greatest offensive minds in the game. Maybe he learned some things. Let's give him a chance, right? All I'm saying is since I said that, every single additional piece of information has been backing up the first people, not me. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, with the Lions, he's got a long contract. He's got a long-term play in mind here. They traded for Jared Goff. I think that trade was fantastic, setting them up with a lot of draft capital for the future. So I like that quite a bit. Um, do they draft a quarterback in the top 10? Do they do they draft another quarterback to come in, to sit behind Jared Goff, knowing you've got the time to buy? We've talked about Fields maybe dropping a six with the Eagles. Does he could, that means he could end up at seven to the Lions. Mm-hmm. Trey Lance, we've talked about a guy that doesn't have a ton of experience who would be a good sit candidate. It's tempting, isn't it? Especially with two first... Well, is it more tempting with two first-round picks in each of the next two drafts, or is it less tempting because you have more time to go get a quarterback anytime? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I would be... 
I would be tempted by Trey Lance because of the style of quarterback he is and the idea that the variance of his upside versus his inexperience and potential um, floor, I think, is intriguing. So he's an incredible athlete. He's got a great arm. He's got a lot of he's got a huge upside, but he's also got a lot of negative working against him. And he's a guy that I wouldn't necessarily want to start day one. The Detroit Lions are in the fortunate situation of not having to do that. They have Jared Goff. On the other hand, I'd also be really intrigued to just, we are rebuilding this thing. We're probably going to suck this year, Jared Goff or no, or whoever the quarterback is. So let's let's focus on other positions. And next year will be the year we come after a quarterback, probably with a higher draft pick. Huh. We, uh, we, got, half, we got half a face here. Half a head. That's all right. All right. Um, be probably, professional. Okay, through it. Sorry. Probably with an even higher draft pick than the one we have this year, if we're bad enough. So I, I would also be very tempted to do it that way and just just load up on talent. I've said for a while, I think um, it feels like the pick for them is going to be... Um, you want to send them a linebacker. Yeah. Yeah, the tough linebacker. Micah Parsons. Who uh, bites kneecaps on the way up. That just feels like the most Lions... Dan Campbell, Chris Spielman pick right now. Um, in part, Micah Parsons, best run defender we've seen from a grading standpoint in college history since we've been, you know, since 2014. Yes. <laughs> um, but given Spielman's history and just the way teams pick their first player as a regime, I always, I always point to the tone. Yeah, I always point to the Dolphins a couple years Cleveland ago. Cleveland Furl. Got to get that good, safe Christian Wilkins in there, run stopper, great kid and all that stuff. And look, I, I don't even know if Parsons is going to go in the top 10. There's people all over the place on him. It just feels like it ma- matches what Campbell and Spielman would want. Yes. Micah Parsons. Now, you wouldn't be saying that if you bought in to this idea of that Dan Campbell was an enlightened Sean Payton disciple. I can and, go and either not, way. Not the, uh, not the meathead. That well, if he's, a, he if he's a Sean Payton disciple, I would say Kyle Pitts. Yeah. is high on the radar. Oh, that would be nice. To go with, you've got your true Y in TJ Hawkinson, uh-huh. Y tight end, yeah. and then you have Kyle Pitts. Offensive weapon. Offensive weapon. TM. Of which the Lions need plenty because yes. their top three wide receivers are all free agents. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola. I, that is, like, I'm all for that. That If you draft Kyle Pitts at number seven and go to town with the rest of your draft just adding talent know you're probably going to be bad next year and come back for your quarterback in 2021 now you're talking i, I could buy into that so let's add pits i'm in if he's there at seven galladay we gonna franchise him yeah do you buy into this um can't remember if tannenbaum mentioned it on the podcast a few weeks ago or not but this parcells win now so we can win later like do you try to win do you try to win now do you do you, versus this idea of tanking like They've got some pieces to at least compete right now. Instill a winning culture. Do you make Galladay a part of that on a franchise tag with hopes of locking him up? Well, yeah. I think it's important. It, it, it doesn't do you harm to have Kenny Galladay long-term, right? The only way it would do you harm is if you won so many games you took yourself out of quarterback contention in next year's draft. And if, A, you did that, it probably means that Goff is a viable quarterback. But, B, you're in a position where it's very hard to do that because you have a second first round pick next year so you have ammunition to jump yourself up significantly higher than you would just based off your draft position so i'm of the opinion that you almost can't win enough for it to be a problem in a weird way does that make sense yeah it does so 
I like Galladay and Pitts at the top. There's, there is a lot. There, there are a lot of holes on this roster. Still. Yes, they, they drafted Jeffrey Okuda last year. But also think overall. about how much is going to get better through not having the train wreck that was last season attached to it all. Like Jeffrey yeah. Okuda was a fantastic draft prospect who looked like crap in year one. That's probably not going to be the case in he year two. He should be better. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the tricky part about team building, Sam. Because I'm not saying like, hey, I was right, and then the results were wrong. But like, when you look at how the Lions built their secondary, I think their process was right. In that they Jeffrey Akuda number three overall, Desmond Trufant, maybe there was too much money probably for Trufant. But the idea of like a you know rejuvenation project, bring him back to to life after he was once one of the best corners in the league. Amani Oruwariye drafted the previous year showed some signs. Hmm. What are you smirking at? Well, that's just it's like the uh, like that Simpsons quote with uh, Principal Skinner. You know, am I out of touch? No, no, it's the children that are wrong. You know, <laughs> that's me. Did I get it wrong? No, it's it's the results that are wrong. I got, I got it right. Just all the players I thought would be good weren't yeah. right. Yeah, I thought the process was sound. You have a high draft pick. You have a reclamation project in Jasmine Trufant. You have uh, Amani Oruwari, you know, mid-round pick. I said it again. We need to get him out of the league quickly Justin just so we Coleman. don't have to say his name anymore. I know. Justin Coleman, who had a history of playing good slot corner yeah. and then all of a sudden stopped. Yes. I mean, like those four pe- – this is how the Bucks built their secondary, except all of their picks came from second and third rounders. But it was a lot of darts that in any given year could actually pay off. So I mean, they did not pay off last year because those guys graded at 42, 38, 50, and 47 – that's bad. But Coleman is a great example of like something that should be better immediately by just changing the scheme, right? Yeah. He, he went from 76, 75 grades in coverage in Seattle to consistent back-to-back years of good coverage play. Was one of the better coverage players in the NFL. Then went to 59 and then 48 in Detroit. Just fell off a cliff. Um, just the scheme just buried him. Uh, and was you, you could see it on tape, right? He was just putting in, being put in these absurd no win asks where you're covering the slot man coverage against a ridiculous playmaker you just don't have an ability to stop that so he should be better you should get dramatically better play out of Akuda in year two. Oh, Aria, I think has been a good player anyway and Trufant could get cut I don't know I mean they I, yeah I wouldn't be relying on Trufant yeah. but that's almost besides the point like there's three players of that secondary that should take a significant jump forward immediately just by not being stuck in a scheme that's killing them the bottom line there is everybody in their secondary underachieved what they had done in previous years. And I don't know how much you just chalk that up to coaching. Well, yes. So the two parts of the information that you need is everybody, as you said, underwhelmed dramatically compared to their previous baseline. And also the defensive coaching staff got fired. Right. Adding two plus two, yeah. I'm going to end up with four and say they're going to improve next year. That defense was really bad at times. So add more defensive line talent. They've needed a good coverage linebacker for a while. Jared Davis was not it. He's a free agent once again. Um, so I love when Ben Stockwell starts getting into uh, draft time. Jamin Davis from, I mean, uh, sorry, Jabril Cox from LSU. He thinks he's the best coverage linebacker. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna defer to Ben. Okay, our director of analysis. He's also only seen like five players. That's, that's okay though. Okay, that's great. Now you looked at like five linebackers. That's all he needs. Yeah. To, yeah. to declare, <laughs> declare that he's the best in the draft. It's more so if Ben actually says something positive about a player. That's he true. Must be good because no, even whether he watches five players or 200, if he he's got two positive players on his board every year that's true and if Jabril Cox out of LSU is one of them fair point I'm in fair point so I would take a look there bring back Galladay draft Kyle Pitts yeah. in the first round and we're moving this thing in the right direction they're not fixed we're rebuilding we're well they're fixed the as right much direction. as you can in year one this is our we've learned 
from the Houston Texans. They've taught us lessons in this process. You can't fix everybody in one year. It's not possible. So what we're going to do is institute a multi-year fixing process, and this is as fixed as they get in year one. Let me just say, I'm going to compare them to the football team really quick. Okay. The football team in one year got a new culture. They got a coach who has a history of winning in Ron Rivera. Yep. And they revamped their secondary just kind of like overachieved or whatever, however you want to call it. I feel like the Lions, if Dan Campbell's culture <laughs> is right, kneecap I have no idea where it's going to land. Change the culture. This could be a, a random quick turnaround. Like they're going to be like five and two out of nowhere next year. People are like, oh, look at Dan Campbell. And then they end up eight and eight or something like that. I could see that happening for the Lions in this turnaround here. Yeah. I mean, they're coming from such a low ebb that I think a big leap forward is entirely possible. All right. Green Bay Packers. So How are we going to get them to the Super Bowl? Not a ton of fixing needs to be done for the Packers, like back-to-back NFC Championship games. So I just uh, here's what I what I'm struggling with with the Packers. In 2019, they were they were the fraudulents, 13 and three. Yes. Right. Last year, they were a real 13 and three. Mm-hmm. The offense was better. MVP Aaron Rodgers. The defense had showed signs. Now I think if they go back to, I feel like they're ready to regress back to 2019. Packers. I think well, it's going to be really tough to replicate this past season's regular season. And they have more holes. I mean, effectively, the difference between the two was Aaron Rodgers went from Aaron Rodgers that's been vaguely underachieving for a few years to the best Aaron Rodgers we've seen. Yeah. I mean, okay, they had some slight differences elsewhere. Jair Alexander had a better season this year than the year before, and that's an important position, so that's notable. There were some other bits and pieces that were better or worse, but the large chunk of that difference between fraudulent quotation marks 13 and 3 to legit 13 and 3 was Rodgers had a giant leap forward and became the best quarterback in the NFL again. So it's going to be re- it's going to be tough to depend so, on yeah, that. Yeah. So again. immediately if he doesn't do that next year, you've taken a step backwards. And in addition to that, you have Rick Rick Wagner who we mentioned earlier has been released. Good just a good right tackle. He's gone. David Bakhtiari is going to miss some time next year at left tackle. Corey Lindsley is the best center in the league. He's a free agent. Mm-hmm. At playmaker, at receiver slash tight end, Devontae Adams was the best receiver in the league last year. Alan Lazard was injured, but when he was healthy, he was great. But you're still looking at this on paper like, could use some help there, right? You still have some additions there. Cornerback two, besides uh, across from Jair Alexander. Jair had a 90 grade, great. Kevin King had a 50 grade. Mm-hmm. He's out. He's a free agent. You have to figure out who cornerback two is on that side of the ball. Both starting linebackers, projected starting linebackers, graded in the 40s. Like, there are some holes yeah. on this roster. Well, there are some holes, and when you look at it, you can essentially say they had the best quarterback, wide receiver, and cornerback in the NFL last year. Yeah. All of whom with a PFF grade well above 90. Rodgers buried it almost in 95, which is just an absurd level. Just... If you knew nothing else about this team, you would say that, I mean, all three of those have a pretty good chance of regressing a bit. Even if you say Jair Alexander and Devontae Adams are the best players in the league at their respective positions, it's really hard to maintain that kind of level year after year. You would probably put some money on all three of those guys regressing, which are the three most important positions that they have and their three best players last year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And they've, uh, they're have they going to pick at 29, 62, 92. They have a bunch of picks in the 100s. Um, so that means we need to make them better. Here's the other thing. We hated, that. we hated their draft last year. Yeah. And 
in the short term, they didn't get much out of that draft class, mm-hmm. right? With Jordan Love being the first-round quarterback, A.J. Dillon at running back, he'll play more next year because the two running backs in front of him are, are both free agents, but, you know, he's a running back, um, even if he's huge and does force missed tackles. The, the snow plan. So, but, like, a lot of teams don't get a lot of help from their rookie draft class. A lot of times it's year two where you really need that class. Are they going to get anything out of this class in year two? Yeah, but year two is <laughs> – it doesn't help when you, when one of the – like your first-round pick was a quarterback. That's what I mean. You're sitting behind a Hall of Famer. So here's here's what, what I'm struggling with with the Packers because we're not trying to like have them win the NFC North. They're the favorite for that Should just win. as they were last year. We came out of the draft hating their draft. We're like, well, they're still the favorites in the NFC North. Yeah. We want to win a Super Bowl here. You're we trying do. to get over that NFC championship hump, and I think – they're going to have a more difficult time next year than they had this year. That's all. Yeah, I mean, as you say, as I, we need to give them some players because okay, so we have to, fix to offset to offset the fact that their three most important players are probably going to be worse next Will year. Will Fuller, stop it. Will but Fuller, but that is the guy that we projected for them. Isn't he just Brad. Marquez Valdez Scantling? With slightly better hands, believe it or not, Will Fuller has better hands than MVS. Yes, <laughs> we found the one player in the league with better hands than. Uh, or with worse hands than it's Will still Fuller. not attractive on paper from a playmaker standpoint, wide receiver standpoint. I think they're. But do you think they're fine? Yeah, I think they're okay. I think Valdez Scantling has become the player that they persisted believing he was. Okay, it, it required Aaron Rodgers playing like Aaron Rodgers for it to matter. But you give if those guys stay healthy with uh, Adams, with Valdez Scantling, with Alan Lazard, Robert Tunyon sounds like Funyon allegedly. Um, that's a decent group. Okay, they're probably losing a bit out of the backfield now. If Aaron Jones moves on, they're left with the snowplow in the backfield as the, the bell cow. But that is a good group of receivers. Their biggest things are making sure that offensive line doesn't drive off a cliff with uh, some changeover and repairing the defense. Offensive tackle. I think they need to hit. I think Filer. So back Everybody. into the first, I think there's two ways they can go. Cornerback two, cornerback in general. Like a Tyson Campbell from Georgia – Asante Samuel. It's going to depend on what they're what they want to do schematically. Cornerback's going to be in play, and I think starting tackle is in play because you get a guy that can start at right tackle because you don't you don't want Billy Turner playing tackle again. You you get a guy that can start at tackle and maybe provide some initial David Bakhtiari insurance. By the way, in free agency, Ty Secchi, my my favorite swing tackle in the NFL, would be perfect for the Packers in the short term here for what they're dealing with. Give them a one year deal. Number 155 on the PFF free agent board. So we're going to sign Ty Seki and then look at tackles and corners at the back end of the first. I think that's where the value is going to be. Okay. That makes sense. I don't hate that. I would I, still look at receiver again. But I think they have to – they have they have a history of double dipping at corner. They had Jair Alexander and Josh, Josh Jackson. Jackson the same year. They had Quinton Rollins, and I couldn't remember who the other – Quinton Rollins was the same year. as Was it Darius Rant? Wasn't it that yes. the same year as Darius Randall? But Darius they moved Randall. Him, they moved him to corner from safety. And then they then they got Kevin King in isolation, and then they doubled up with Jair and, and Jackson. And this is why you do it. Out of all that, they got Jair Alexander. They got a little bit of good play out of Quentin Rollins. This could be a double up at corner type of season for them in the draft. Yeah. Because that second spot's huge. The entire back seven, I think, needs to needs massive just resources thrown at it. Now, okay, safety is pretty good, but like cornerback in the linebacker position, just start throwing darts at at, uh, at the draft and see what you hit. So draft a ton of back seven players. Yep. Maybe a starting tackle and get Ty and Secchi. Hmm. Is that it? Are they solved already? Yeah. See, it wasn't that hard. And add Will Fuller. Stop it. Wide receivers, man. I don't need Will Fuller. Will Fuller's not helping I anything. would want a little bit of 
if Devonte Adams gets hurt, I'm really nervous. I know that's anybody, but yes, really nervous. That that is the uh, that's the Peyton Manning quote from Would my, want that from my Twitter bio. We don't practice. Such. We don't practice. Set it up, Minnesota Vikings. Yes. So here's our email. Uh, this email came in mailbag. As I said, uh, was it NFL podcast singular at pff.com. This one came in from somebody called Dan Jacobson. Jacobson? Jacobson. Whatever. Dan, J-A-C-O-B-S-E-N. Anywho, Sam and Steve, longtime listener, and I thought I would share this musing. I'm a lifelong Vikings fan. I've been frustrated, particularly in the last two years since we've had cousins. I noticed the predictability of Minnesota's offense, particularly in their run-heavy style on early downs. As I watched this season with the emergence of Justin Jefferson and the continued great play from Adam Thielen, plus some pass-catching tight ends and Rudolph and Irv Smith, a thought occurred to me. This is from the Wikipedia page on the giant panda what everyone just calls panda bears. Despite its taxonomic classification as a carnivorian, carnivorian, the giant panda's diet is primarily herbivorous, consisting almost exclusively of bamboo. However, the giant panda still has the digestive system of a carnivore, as well as carnivore-specific genes, and thus derives little energy and little protein from consumption of bamboo. The average giant panda eats as much as 20 to 30 pounds of bamboo shoots a day, to compensate for the limited energy content of its diet. The giant panda also tends to limit its social interactions and avoids steeply sloping terrain to limit its energy expenditures. In football, the pass offense is the carnivore diet. The Vikings offense is built like a pass-catching offense. It has a quarterback who can sling it. We'll save the debates on how good Cousins is for another time, but the man can throw the ball. Two excellent receivers and some good pass-catching tight ends. Yet it runs the ball a lot. And running the ball... Uh, the bamboo diet, is so inefficient that the Vikings have to do it over and over to get anything from it. And the limited offensive output from the bamboo slash running diet means they can't handle steeply sloping terrain, being down more than three points ever or a tense two-minute drill. I think the Vikings offense should be called the panda offense. You can throw that to other teams too. Tennessee, Seattle, pre-2020, maybe Cleveland, all could be classified as panda diets. Uh, panda offenses. Anyway, hopefully this provides a bit of a chuckle if you do see this. Uh, I am thanks. so glad that I did not read this yet. <laughs> and I got my first experience with it live on the air. Thanks for the wonderful hours of podcasting, blah, blah, blah. Uh, P.S. As an added layer to the metaphor, if you've read this long, pandas basically get to survive as herbivores because they, it has a special gut bacteria that allows it to get nutrients from bamboo. In this metaphor, Dalvin Cook is gut bacteria because having <laughs> a running back as good as he is uh, essentially is the reason the Vikings' otherwise stupid strategy works at all. Now that is the type of email I am looking for in the mailbag. We need more of that. That's what I'm saying. We need more massive metaphors that just make perfect sense. We need to find out if that guy has a, a PFF subscription. What's Dalvin? The gut? Gut bacteria. Gut bacteria. Yeah. Within the Panda offense. You never signed gut bacteria to a second contract. No, never. Well, I mean, gut back Dalvin... You know, everyone's chasing for the unicorn. The, the, what you're actually chasing is gut, gut bacteria. bacteria. Yeah. yeah. So we'll change that. Mm-hmm. The Panda offense, definitely taking that. Yep. Trademark that. Has he sent that to our friend Matt Collar? You know, uh, uh, I don't know. I can forward it to him. Yeah. yeah. He's listening, right? He listens to us? Matt listens to us. Yeah. yeah. So well, he'll, he'll at just the very it. least, he'll be fast forwarding to this section yeah. to hear the, um, the massive metaphor. Matt and I spent a whole show comparing the Vikings to the 90s Jaguars. Wow. And um, it's not as clean as the... Panda kind of. offense, but it was amazing the similarities there when you have Smith and McCardell and J- Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. My comp for Dalvin Cook coming out was Fred Taylor. It was right. There's a lot of similarities, 
And uh, the Jags offense got a little bit too uh, maybe conservative and just not as explosive as they needed to be at one point. Where do, I think I think a lot of this depends on the Cousins debate, right? It's it's a Kubiakian offense, right? And there was a point in Kubiak's world where he had Matt Schaub for a few years. Mm-hmm. I remember specific games where Matt Schaub was a good, solid quarterback and probably elevated by Kubiak's system, right? And having Andre Johnson, good playmakers. They do great things, that system, for quarterbacks. There were certain games where it was like you're playing a great run defense and think about how we've mentioned this with the Tannehill thing this year, right? Great run defense. Put it in the QB's hands. It's uncomfortable. It's a little bit against your nature, but this is the week where you have to do it. And Kubiak would never do it, right? It was like they just weren't aggressive enough in games where they needed to be. And you have to be able to adjust your philosophy of run, run, play action, and the whole deal. And I think the Vikings probably have elements of that as well. There's probably certain games where the run game and Dalvin are going to win it for you, but there has to be other games where you just go in and say, I'm going to let my receivers make the plays in this game and a good enough quarterback, and that's the strategy. Is that the issue with this offense overall, though, which is that generally it's spoken about, and by that I mean everything in this coaching tree, the Kubiak offense, the Kyle Shanahan offense, the Sean McVay offense, all of it. It, It's it's the – great strength of it is that everything looks the same so the outside zone is tied to the play action is tied to all these pass concepts and the whole thing works as one synergy uh, unit but if if you run up against a defense that is uniquely qualified to take away the one thing that everything is sort of based on essentially take a sledgehammer to your your foundation stone you it's not as simple as just well okay let's change the whole offense and pivot to the pass game like the pass game is built off the run game. So if they just destroyed the run game, there's nothing for it. It's not built on anything. It's just built on this crumbled foundation. Like, yeah, I, it's, it's kind of like the run and shoot, right? People used to crap on the run and shoot because when you get to the four-minute offense, you can't just run the ball. And you need to be able to run the ball in the NFL, chew up the clock, and win the game. Like, you can't just say, all right, now you're run and shoot. You're going you're gonna to pound the ball in I formation with two tight end sets. You can't, like, you can't just change the whole offense and expect it to function. You have to build the offense for those situations. But is this like an inherent issue with this style of offense, which is it doesn't happen very often. Baltimore offense, another one, right? It doesn't happen very often, but if you do run up against a team that is capable of shutting down the thing that everything is based on, you are just screwed. There is no, like, there's no pivot to plan B. It just doesn't work anymore. Well, maybe if we're, if we're fixing every team here, we're saying evolve the offense. Well, so what is your evolution? What's your fix to that? Look, it's not like you don't have quick game concepts. None of these guys have figured it out. Do you have quick game concepts? Like, do you have... Sure. You, you, I mean, it's not as simple as, like, call more run. I mean, call more passes, right? It's not always that simple. But sometimes it is, <laughs> right? Sometimes you just go in and you say, we have, we have a 500-page playbook. You just use the pages that have more passes on them. Use the pages. Okay. I know it's, it really sounds simplistic, but... You know, if you have to sacrifice a little bit of completion percentage, if you have to sacrifice and you, you have lower percentage plays and you're going to have a few more second and tens, that's the whole thing about the uh, the Shanahan offense and what Alex Gibbs was doing for them. and all. Like Alex Gibbs used to say, three yards, right? Three yards is a win. We're trying to avoid second and tens. If you will accept a few more second and tens, because there'll be a few more incomplete passes, you will in turn pick up a few more 20-yard gains on first down, Right? If you do this or just or eight yard gains on first down instead of three, because, you know, running a quick out against off coverage is a good soft win that wide receivers 
that the QB to receiver connection can can do instead of you know we need 17 run blocks to go well so to get the eight yard gain so the point is there need to be some games where you let the quarterback take over and it's again it's strategic it's football it's when the defense is giving you that right or you just run play action 17 times to start the game too I don't know Hmm. um but if just if you look at your roster and you're like my best my best players and the guys who can make the most impact are Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and say what you want about Dalvin Cook then you try to find a way to get Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen to make more plays yeah I mean this was the crux of why Stephon Diggs wanted out he was arguably the most important player on offense and was never going to get given the ball enough that he felt he was making the impact that he could make. But like, the, Bill, the Bills are the perfect example, right? Do, yeah. They don't have a system where we're predicting a game where, like, they've got the system and here's what they're going to do. They went out and they said, wow, the Seahawks are really good at stopping the run. We're going to throw the ball 24 times and run it twice in yeah. the first half. Right. That's our strategy because that's what the defense has given us. Stephon Diggs uh, had 102 catches was his career high before this season, 147 this year. Career high in targets was 141, 193 this year. Um, and the year before, it was 99 and 67. So like, he just went into a completely different world in terms of how much they were using him. And that, that's something that the Vikings probably aren't going to do. So I, I just don't think – I don't think your fix can involve All right, so we're building around the changing offense. the entire offense. Well, they could change. I mean, it yes. could change a little bit. Build around the panda system, please. Fix my panda offense. Well, the defense needs help too. Yes. Pass rush. Need some serious help. I mean, the Vikings' story is the same for years. They need an offensive line still and have for ever. We're going to put Ezra Cleveland at right guard, Riley Reef back at left tackle, and Brian O'Neill at right tackle? Yep. It's not a bad foundation. It's not exciting, it's but not look, great this is, I'm going to say the same thing I said about the Lions. Like when the when the Vikings, they performed the creep back toward average strategy the right way a couple of years ago. They got two average tackles in Riley Reef and Mike Remmers because the interior kind of collapsed, and those guys, yeah, they were just okay. If the Vikings, the Vikings are a team without, they're always they don't have much money to play with in free agency consistently. Pretty that's what Kirk Cousins' contract does for you. But they're always good enough and maneuvering the salary cap that they can always make a move, one, maybe, make a decent amount of chunk change to spend. They should go hard for Corey Lindsley at center. We just talked about center isn't the problem until you can't find one every single year and just haven't figured out how to plug that gap. Corey Lindsley was the best center in the NFL last year. Move Bradbury to guard? Or, yes, guard or wherever. Just move him out of the starting lineup at center. Um Put Corey Lindsley in there. The guy allowed four pressures last year. And okay, he only played 13 games, but four pressures in 13 games compared with whatever the Vikings have been giving up over the last few years. Uh, it's a massive, monstrous, seismic upgrade. Okay, it'll cost you a bit of money to do. You'll have to move some stuff around, but it's definitely worth it. Uh, Bradbury last year allowed 29 total pressures, five sacks. So <laughs> Lindsay had four pressures total. Bradbury allowed five sacks on its own. And that is, isn't even the worst that the Viking centers have done over the last few years. By the way, uh, just on Cousins, and we've had people ask us about this, like, you know, he grades pretty well, and he's graded pretty well the last couple of years. As much as I say, like, hey, just let the guy who grades well throw more, Yeah, I, I do think, I do understand football, and there is a chicken, and, chicken or the egg type of deal there, too. I don't think Cousins is going to, would put up Tom Brady-like numbers or Drew Brees-like numbers when it's just, hey, go throw 40 times per game i think the fact that it is a controlled passing game has helped him look good now 
over his career, there's always been this dynamic of at first he was not grading that great, but the stats were always really good. Like his stats for his career have always been good, but we've always mentioned, look, I don't think he has that feel for playing to the score, for being aggressive when he needs to, being conservative when he needs to. I just don't think he has that feel. He's still a middle-class quarterback. Like Grades aside, grades or not, he's still a middle-class quarterback who I think has always found himself and also picked the situation, but always found himself in an incredible situation with regard to his play callers, a Kubiak-Shanahan scheme that has always elevated quarterbacks statistically and always had really good receivers to throw to, always. And he just went from Stephon Diggs to Justin Jefferson. Like Cousins has continued to really hit the jackpot when it comes to that. So it is – I know it's not as simple as like Kirk Cousins go play more, you know, pass more. It's definitely not that simple. Yeah. But I think I think you fix the offensive line, that that whole offense is good. Yeah. They, Irv Smith should be able to step into a bigger role with uh, Kyle Rudolph being released. Um, Dalvin Cook, gut bacteria, is already phenomenal. It allows the whole thing to work. The two receivers that they do use are, are excellent. Uh, maybe they could use a third one, but they don't seem to have a – I was going to ask that. Do, we, do you even attack wide receivers? I just don't think – they don't even have the capacity to use it in the offense, so what the hell. Like maybe throw a low-round draft pick on a guy that's an obvious slot upgrade. See, uh, beyond that, no. See, if you talk about where the offense needs to evolve, we keep pairing Shanahan and Kubiak, but Kyle Shanahan's offense – I wrote a whole article about it last year when they went to the Super Bowl – Ran more power, ran more jet sweep, ran more motion. Like, what if the Vikings had a Rondell Moore or a Kadarius Toney? And instead of the, the offensive line, which is average to, at best, instead of them having to win all their blocks, you start stealing some gaps with Kadarius Toney on jet sweeps and Rondell Moore. Like, that's your third receiver, and that's how you use that guy. I don't know if the Minnesota Vikings have the creativity to maximize that in a way Kyle Shanahan does. So okay. Kyle Shanahan, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle actively assembles these players for precisely that reason. The Kubiak offense in Minnesota was Gary. He's retired, right? It's now Clint. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just I haven't seen evidence that they're willing to do the same thing. So well, they should consider it. I mean, they should consider it, but I just don't, I don't, again, I don't think they're going to do that. So what's the point? Let's focus on defense where everything else was a disaster. At 14 overall, we've given them Christian Barmore before too, right? We've mentioned Barmore for the Raiders. Yeah. We've thought about him for Dallas at 10. At 14. Love that. Also love that fit yeah. for the Vikings, especially if you have Danell Hunter back. And Michael Pierce maybe coming back. And Pierce coming, and, and Pierce, they, they did pay over $8 million a year for him, but as a good run-stopping nose tackle. Barmore is a great compliment there. All of a sudden, this defensive line, that's three pieces they didn't have last year mm -hmm. that completely turned that thing around. Yeah. Uh, so I think Barmore at 14 would be uh, fantastic value. Um, secondary, they do have to replace Anthony Harris at safety. How do you feel about their corners? This feels like the team where they just invested a ton at corner with Cameron Dantzler and Jeff Gladney. My cues are still there that they're just not going to look there again, or are they going to keep taking shots and make sure they find people? I like Dantzler. I think he'll come good and be a good player. I think Gladney will be fine. I don't know about Gladney. Um, there, I you can't trust at this point Mike Hughes at all, um, and I don't know that you've seen enough from Gladney to be confident that he will be good going forward. I think they are a prime candidate to take a low, or a low price, high risk flyer on one of these crazy cornerbacks in free agency. Right? Xavier Rhodes. <laughs> maybe not that one maybe that reunion might not be a great one but 
look, we've been talking the entire free agent cornerback group is this just chaotic, weird mess of guys that have been good in the past are not necessarily good right now. Um, but like if you were rolling down this list of guys, there, there are players that shouldn't cost much but should give you a viable alternative to a Mike Hughes or a Jeff Gladney if they struggle. So like a Cameron Sutton or a Bashad Breeland, like how much can a guy like that cost? It's a pretty good insurance policy in case one of your young corners plays as badly as he did last year. What the other the other place I think they could go in the draft? Quiddy Pay, edge defender. Um, if you want to have him and Denell Hunter opposite each other, so Barmore I think is a good fit for the interior pass rush. Edge defender Quiddy Pay is our top guy and could be there at fourteen. It, 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 we've mentioned before there's not a Chase Young or a Bosa mm-hmm. in this draft, and, and Pay could be good. The other thing I'm considering is there an unsexy but necessary pick at tackle. Like if they've been trying to maybe move on from Riley Reef, and I know they just drafted Ezra Cleveland, but they could play him at guard still. Rashawn Slater, if he's there, Christian Darasaw, number 15 on our board, if they are there, grab a future left tackle, even though it feels like this lateral move in the short term, is that the better long-term play to shore up the offensive line? I think Maybe. I, I think the Vikings would put themselves in a tough spot again. Last year was the same, but this year is similar, where they, they're having to draft for need. And I, to me, you should reach the draft without having – We'll see what they do in free agency. Yeah, they don't have a ton of money to play with is the problem. I mean, bargain, I, I've said they, basement get, they could free up enough to make a swing at a Corey Lindsley, but I don't anticipate them fixing all of their problems in free agency. To me, like free agency should be where you fill needs and you end up, you go into the draft without a glaring hole to fill and you can just add the best talent that shows up. Regardless of position, you don't have to worry about, hey, we already have this guy here. Just draft the best players, figure it out later. That's where you become great. Um, if you roll into the draft year after year needing to fit two or three starting positions, you're just in trouble because those guys are never going to be – you're never going to be batting a 1,000 on the guys you need to start year one. They actually did great last year. They got um, Justin Jefferson, played like an all-pro receiver. They got Cameron Dantzler, came good down the stretch. That's two starters, but they had at least three or four that were actually starting and needed to play well. So they're even, even last year, last year is as good as you're going to do and it wasn't good enough. That's my point. So that's yeah. an issue. I'm going to give them the same guys I've given other teams. Here's the strategy. <laughs> Interior defensive line. Sheldon Rankins. That's a meme right Tyson there. Tyson Alu Alu. Maybe take a, a shot. Take a shot on the interior defensive linemen that are in the hundreds. Daquan Jones, pretty good run defender. K1 Short. I think they could make hay there. Keep, keep that. Don't have to force the bar more pick, even though I love them. Because you're saying don't draft for need, right? If you fill well, up, I'm saying don't put yourself in a position where you but, need to draft for need. But I think as far as free agency goes, you're better positioned to fill your interior D-line spots in free agency with some cheaper guys. And then you're open for a quitty pay or a top tackle if that's the way you want to go. Um, and then figure out – I think you could find, like, the Trey Bostons of the world at free safety and, yeah. and, and replace Anthony Harris there. Yep. So that's the way I would go if I'm the Vikings. And then just um, – Need some luck. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You need some luck. I mean, you need some games where you need some games where Cousins takes over Cousins, Jefferson, and Thielen take over. And Irv Smith. You know, you're you're in, in Dalvin in the past game. I've said this about Cousins basically since he's been there as well, but this team should be looking at low round quarterbacks every year. Yeah. Just in case, right? It's not that Kirk Cousins is bad. Kirk Cousins is good. He's played well. He's been a positive thing for this team overall, I think, even when you consider the squeeze he puts on the rest of the salary cap and therefore the roster. The squeeze is much tighter in 2022. A right. $45 million cap number. So 
I think $35 million of savings. Overall, he has been a net positive, even considering that. And Rick Spielman has been saying, yeah, he's our quarterback, blah, blah. You should at least be kicking the tires on. Just roll the dice. It's all you know. One six-round pick every year. Just see what happens, right? Most of You're going to burn every single one of them. But maybe you hit on a guy that's better than Kirk Cousins and allows you to get the hell away from under the crushing weight of that contract. That's all I'm saying. And the Vikings aren't doing that. And that feels like a missed opportunity. They fixed? Sure. Everybody's fixed. In the NFC East and the NFC North, all fixed. Leaves two divisions. We'll hit the NFC South and the NFC West on Thursday. That's the, that'll finish up this week. Next week, free agency is live. We're going to definitely have an extra show. Recording-wise, we'll record on Monday like we usually do. I don't know if we want to go Monday, Wednesday. Do, can we move it? Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Or Monday, Thursday, Friday? Either way, we're going to try to drop three shows for you guys next week as free agency starts and gets crazy and we'll just kind of just be ready make sure you're subscribed if you're not already subscribe subscribe to the daily we'll hit on some more those quick nine to eleven minute topics that's our range there uh, appreciate everybody for tuning in go check out premium stats pff.com sign up for pff elite premium stats they are as we speak we're adding what is this wow we're gonna have some man versus zone splits added to there i'm seeing all sorts of stuff being added hmm a new passing under pressure report, passing depth report. This is great. Go check it out. PFF Elite Premium Stats 2.0, getting a whole bunch of new stats and fun stuff in there. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday.